Broadcast live on D20 Radio's Justin TV channel, Twitch. You're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and MapsOfMastery.com. What's up, Gamer Nation? Who talks first these days? I swear. Yeah, I swear. Who talks first? I'm just so used to it. Ah, since you're back in the producer's chair, you hoser, which I'm very happy about, by the way. Um, but you'd think our producer could maybe re-record our intro bumper and get that Justin liner off there. Yeah, you would think. But you know what? And I was thinking about that today, is that I'm going to re-record it, actually, get the Justin thing off. As long as this Twitch thing works, we're going to put Twitch in there, and then we're finally going to put Wayne Basta in there, because we kind of owe him that for like a year. Yeah, we do. Oh. So this podcast brought to you by Aristea and Wayne Basta. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. Oh, man. Well, anyway, that aside, those tuning in for the very first time, this is the Order 66 podcast, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing. And uh, you are joining us for episode 47. Uh, we are broadcasting on February the 15th. And it's a little after 8 in the p.m. And uh, uh, already arguing, of course, uh, this is GM Chris, obviously, and, and, and GM Dave there with us. But the man who has yet to speak up much aside from the rare guffaw, our wonderful and, and amazing compadre, the man with the most awesome haircut in the world, GM Phil. It takes a lot of work to get it this good. Wow. It takes, it takes a lot of work to be that sexy. That it does, that it does. Good evening, Gamer Nation, from the land of four feet of snow. Oh, Lord. You sound like you're coming through a tin can now. I do? That's because he's got like seven feet of snow around his uh, internet connection. Yes, that is true. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened. All of a sudden, you went from like nice and clear to, uh, I don't know what. You went... Um, Well, hopefully it'll clear up. Uh, You went 1970s Vietnam era. We did just have like a blizzard roll through here, so it's possible that it's, there's still uh, lingering lag effects and effects upon the internet, and hopefully it'll clear up shortly. We hope so, because of the three of us, you're really the only one with anything important to say. I appreciate that, but that certainly does not bode well for the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's trouble. It's, it's big trouble. It's big trouble. Well, we've got a lengthy show ahead of you guys, one I've been very excited to get to for a while. So, Dave, you want to kick this off with some announcements? Um, okay, I can do that. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. Announcements. Announcements. Yeah, that's all I was waiting for right there. All right, so the featured podcast this week is called The Geek's Menagerie. We've talked about these guys from time to time, and they 
continue to review the nerdy things that we all love. And most recently, episode 70 comes in and sees Green Loon Turn and the rest of the hosts return to RPG Corner. And they review Castles and Crusades, which they've recently been playing and loving, by the way. For a great review of a pared-down fantasy system that harkens back to the games we all knew and loved, I suggest you give this episode a listen. Of course, you can find this in many great podcasts at www.d20radio.com. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love Castles and Crusades. Have you played it, Phil? I have not. <clears throat> Man, Brev ran us through it a while back. It's like just this really pared-down version of D&D when you get down to it. Sure. Um, D20 mechanic, very simple, very cool. Very cool. So, Sometimes all you need is simple mechanics. I know. Um, so it's good, but check it out. So, dude, do we have some FFG news as well? Because there's been a lot of announcements. We got a lot of announcements. Um, the first is we had an update to the Fly Casual book, the splat book all about smugglers, the smuggling career, uh, where we finally got some hard facts as to what we can expect within the beautiful bindings of this next product from Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, species that we can expect to find in the book include the Feline, the Gotal, and the Quarren. Uh, three staples of both the EU and the movies, right there for us to use. Um, more details about the three specs as well. There's a they, we get a nice little uh, kind of an introductory blurb paragraph about the charmer, the gambler, and the gunslinger specializations, along with some talk about some gear that we'll find in the book, like the 800 credit false credentials, which can be very handy for just about anybody. <laughs> Uh, the book is currently listed as being on the boat, so we should probably expect it, I'm thinking, end of February, early March, possibly around the time of GNC 2015. So, well, well, I got you one up on this, buddy. Uh, What's that? Fly, uh, StarWars.com. Mm-hmm. Not FFG, but LFL at StarWars.com uh, in a recent article actually gave us a release date for uh, for Fly Casual. Ooh. Okay. I don't know how accurate it is, but it is coming from LFL, and they say they say February 26th. Well, that's late okay. February. So I will say that they did the same thing for Stay on Target, and they did the same thing for Lords of Nalhutta. The date they gave was about three to four weeks early before it actually launched. Oh, poo. Well, I know. I know. Who I knows? Mean, Maybe as they get practice, they'll, they'll, that'll, that, that will get tightened up, because it was... Fun. Because they gave the release date of Lords of Nalhutta like the last week of January, and it actually came out the first week of February. So maybe we will get it end of the month, first yeah. week of March. I think it depends on what port it comes into, right? Uh, oh, yeah, because that, that's another thing, because California's got some kind of dock worker strike going on. Oh, California's a mess now. I've, yeah, I've like seen some pictures of that. Boats sitting out in the ocean waiting, yes. to, waiting to offload cargo. Yes. That's not good. Yeah, Wiz, no, WizKids had to, you know, I'm a big Dice Masters guy. WizKids had to push back their next two releases of Dice Masters. Blaming it on that. Because you know what else is on For the boat? For a month. Hmm? Rats rats are on the boat. Well, rats are on the boat, but Armada is also on the boat. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Hurts. Okay, well, you know what's not on a boat because it's in my hands? We're on a boat. Lords of Nalhutta. Lords of Nalhutta. <laughs> um, you did, Phil. You fucking called it, man. Oh, my goodness I did. gracious. I did. First week of February. Um, 
Yeah, Stay on Target was late December, Lords of Nalhada. The BBC would like to announce um, that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. Sorry. We were we were running a great <laughs> show right up until Sorry. Yes. Sorry. I played a Skype game on Friday that was the filthiest, most hilarious thing I've ever run through, but it was absolutely filthy and it's still in my head. So, yeah, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> well, now that we played that, just, you know, whatever, whatever I'll you like. Try, I'll still try and keep it PG. Whatever you um, like. Dude, yeah, so now Huda, man, I'm just like, ah, it's so freaking great and big props um, uh, to Ryan Brooks. Because I know this was the yeah. like, first thing he worked on and it took the longest to get out. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 well, what going to be the last of the uh, original core rulebook splat books coming? N- um, no way. <clears throat> now we still got two of those left to go: technician and bounty hunter. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, oh, bounty least. hunter. That's right. Yeah, we got yeah. bounty hunter. We got technician, and uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, but I'm just so excited. It's a phenomenal book, and uh, I don't know. I'm still. I've known for a while since we were part of the play testing for it, but I'm still so torn about the idea of letting my players play a hut. Why? Because they can it, barely move. Uh, I guess because of the, what they what they traditionally stand point, their their traditional yeah. traditional role in the Star Wars universe. You mean? Yeah, they are the epitome of an NPC. Yeah. They're not really an adventurer, are they? No. Uh, but but the thing is, I, I read through the book, and they do a good job of talking about especially younger huts. Mm. Like they have a history of being adventurers. You know what I mean? And, okay. And it's I don't know. It, it kind of opened my eyes a bit. It, it's a it's an excellent read, but there's so much in there. It's just phenomenal. So, given the edge of the empire, is it possible that you could set up a hut-based empire-type cartel, and that's what your campaign is built around? Totally, sure I mean, you could. It's not okay. that you know, not that out of the realm, but it's really kind of—I don't know—I'd be kind of bored if I played it, just kind of sitting there giving orders all the time, be like reenacting the Godfather. Yeah. Well, aside from the movement restrictions, huts can actually make some fearsome melee combatants. Oh yeah, they had great uh, they had great stats with uh, grapple mm. way back in the day. When they fall on you, <laughs> you can't move, and they roll over you. <laughs> but uh, what else? FFG also announced the um, the release time frame. Uh, I think for Force and Destiny. Yes, they did. Oh, oh that black God, is that a gorgeous awesome. cover. You see yeah. the texturing they put behind there? It's really awesome. Oh, uh, yeah, the marbling. Yeah, that looks yeah. really nice with old Ben and Darth Vader as the uh, cover characters. So Very fitting. nice. So fitting. And uh, I think they, they said it was, what, quarter three of 2015? Quarter three of 2015. And everyone's like, oh, oh Gen yeah, Con release, Gen Con release. But you've got to remember that the last two core rulebooks technically came out quarter three. They both came out in July. That's yeah, they, uh, yeah. That's the f- you're right. But Gen Con is July this year, so. Oh, I didn't realize it got moved up. Ah, he's yep. right. He's yep. right. Ah, uh, that okay. Yeah, if they, if they moved it up, then yeah, it's probably they'll probably hold on to it for uh for Gen Con release. Yeah. Damn it. Damn it, Jim. Not going this year. <laughs> oh, it'll be out before Gen Con. Not bad. Probably, probably. Now, lastly, FFG then regaled us yet again with another announced book release. That's going to be a heck of a lot closer than quarter three, quarter two. 2015, we'll see Desperate Allies mm. for Age of Rebellion, the source book for diplomats, baby. Yep. Um, Max Brook uh, helms this article that kind of talks about it, talking about the theme and the production of the book, and they give us a preview of the new species that we're going to get to see in it, which are the Kamasi. Great choice. The Nemoidian. I'm not letting him in there. Um, and the Gossam. Yeah. 
I, and I didn't remember the Gossam. I actually had to Wikipedia the Gossam. I'm like, oh, those are the Gossam. Okay. Yeah, you see them like for what two seconds? Yeah, tops. Yeah, and I was like, interesting. The Gossam. Okay, that works. Um, but dude, they also teased the fact that this book was going to give expanded rules for social encounters. That's going to yep. be good. Oh, and building a rebel base. Because <laughs> it's all about that base. About that base. <laughs> no rebels. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, but we got a couple great books coming out soon. And, and, and in there, you've also got the Force and Destiny basic beginner's game and okay. other books that are, aren't announced yet that are sure to be in there soon. It, it's it's setting up to be a wonderful year for uh, for Star Wars. Not just with the fact that at the end of the year we got the movie. <laughs> well, sure, true, true that, true that. And that, not just that, but you, you got <clears throat> Imperial Assault out now. Yeah. Oh God. More yes. minis coming. Armada? I mean, Armada's coming. I mean, it's just uh, it's a it's a good time to be alive, gentlemen. Yes, it is. Really Speaking nice. of, Dave, do you want to call an audible and talk about some Kickstarter goodness? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. So, by the way, guys, Dave went rogue. <laughs> I, uh, you know, we um, we picked up a an idea for a game from a gentleman named Sean Story, who is part of DFW Nerd Night, which is an organization here in Dallas. That is all about helping people and playing games, and it's literally it's called Nerd Night. It's grown to a pretty big following, and one of the guys who is a nerd nighter is named Sean Story, and he literally self-published a game called Quintessential. We've talked about it before. the The fifth element, Quintessential, the fifth element. It is all about being an alchemist and using fire, air, earth, and water to create what Aristotle would postulated to be the the perfect quintessence ether and using that ether to create the philosopher's stone you know following the whole you know magnum opus and all that old lore type stuff in alchemy so the idea behind it is it's worker placement and it's engine building where you set up your own lab to use the basic elements to create the quintessence and ultimately use the ether that you build to to create the philosopher's stone the first player to do that wins the game but it's not that simple, obviously, because the cards that come out are random, and you have to build your you have to build your engine such that you're going to use the cards that are randomly coming out. You get to start with a base set of cards for your own color, but after that, you know you're 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 basically having to think on the fly, and it's different every single time. Anyway, I love the game. As soon as I played it, I was like, dude, I want to I want to publish this game because he was making them by hand one at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. So we helped him. We fleshed out a few new rules. We got rid of a couple of cards. We, you know, changed a few things. Just, but we stayed real true to the to the intent of his design. And any of our listeners who went to the to our sister company, Gamer Nation Studios booth and Gen Con this past year, you all got the chance to see this and play test it. And I mean, Dave, we went through how many months of play testing to really refine it? Uh, with seven, <laughs> a long time, and 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 also, you know, think about the fact that the game's been in production now theoretically for three years yeah it really has. so and we didn't change it that much Mm-mm. but we came out of gen con with this list of people that said hey let me know when the kickstarter comes we love it we you know it's awesome it's great and so it was very well received at gen con it really was and so we're excited that uh, so anyway bottom long story short check it out we launched it in secret for our nerd night friends because we have 20 of these wooden boxes that are they're hinged at the top they've got a little magnet in them 
They are literally hard wood, and they're they're engraved like dice. Fifteen. We have fifteen of them. Yeah. So we've got like fifteen of them, and those once we go through those fifteens, and, and you get the prototype of the game delivered as soon as the Kickstarter ends, and then we'll send you the actual production copy after the you know after we get everything off the boat. But anyway, I just. I felt like, you know what, the Nerd Knight community and Sean is, you know, they they deserve a shot. And so 12 hours earlier than we intend to, to launch it, I went ahead and made it live and sent a message to the Nerd Knight. And so you guys that are listening to the show right now, you have the opportunity to go up there too because we still have a few of those boxes out there. And somebody already claimed the Big Cahoon $1,000 pledge. So yeah, that's off the table. But, you know. We're, we're, you know, it's already doing good. It's almost, it's, you know, seven, eight percent now already, and and we haven't said a word publicly about this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's been live about a little over two hours. Yeah. Um, but for those of you who want to, you can head to Kickstarter. Um, uh, for our sister company, Gamer Nation Studios, you can do a search for quintessential. That's a very big word. So you can also do a search for the fifth element, F I F T H, not five T H. Yeah. Um, and you can locate it. And I'm looking at it right now. There are, for those who are really interested in getting one of those wooden boxes and a prototype in March delivered to you, uh, there are nine left. So just throwing out there. And for those who really want to go hog wild and actually get themselves in the game, we also have uh, four remaining spots, uh, higher level pledges, to actually get your own caricature as one of the alchemists in the game, one of five. So... Uh, great opportunity, but this is a really fun game. We, you know, when Dave and I first played it, we said we we've got to publish this. I can't believe this guy's making this by hand. This game deserves to be in a big box, um, and and shared with the world. Yeah. So we're very very eager to make this happen. So if you're listening, guys, head to Kickstarter, do a search for Quintessential or the Fifth Element, and uh, and give us a pledge. A base pledge is thirty five bucks to get a copy of the game, uh, which is going to re- retail for more than that. Um, and it's it's just uh. It's, ah. Yeah, it's going to retail for forty bucks, and if we get to fifty thousand dollars, and we can put the wooden box in for everybody, then the game's going to be a sixty-five dollar game that you're still going to get for thirty-five bucks. So, pretty much, yep. So it, uh, it it's it's a uh, it's going to be awesome. So guys, check it out and show 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 us your support. And while you guys are doing that, I uh, gave my pledge. <laughs> oh, hey, how about it? Pledge number twenty-two. Yeah. Who's a 23 now? Oh, oh, 23 now. Somebody else just pledged. How about that? How about that? See? We're going to do us a live show right now. (laughs) Kickstarter time. No, not really. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Hey, you know, Phil, since since we were on the show, and I have a feeling this really has more to do with the lack of Chris and and us being on the show, do you realize that we've had over 11,000 views on our Twitch stream already? Really? That's unfathomable to me, considering we normally get somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000 podcast downloads a week. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. So Twitch, the way of the future. Way of the future. You. Well, and, and a lot of those, I think, came up when we did our big, giant, epic, you know, live play thing that we put up there, too. But so, sure. you know. Sure. But so, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the fact that it's your haircut, Phil. That's what I'm going to go with. That's what it is. I'm, I'm telling you. It's, it's, what, it's what it is, man. It's what it is. So, it's all good. Philbert, you want to hit us up with the social medias? Absolutely. Uh, stay in the know by following D20 Radio on Facebook for news and podcast info on a daily basis. Of course, you can also follow us on Twitter uh, at D20 Radio. We'll also be uh, dual 
tweeting out with uh, at GM Chris, at GM Dave, and at Darth GM for Chris, Dave, and myself, respectively. We post and tweet show information and announcements regularly. So, get to it. Regularly. (laughs) Regularly. All right, I have... um... I have, uh, well, I don't know. Do you, have an, do you have an adventure of the week? Do we have an adventure of the week? The Star Wars adventure of the week? Is that what you're talking about? Well, um, that's what I would hope to be These talking. are, like, really awesome, and they're really short. So you got to listen. you got to listen. All right, so be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Welcome to Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures on Twitter this week. In an ancient Jedi temple, the PCs find an artifact that allows one Jedi to locate another. But will they have to destroy it when an Imperial Inquisitor arrives? This has been Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures. For more adventure ideas in 140 characters or less, be sure to follow SWRPG Adventures on Twitter. And remember, keep adventuring! And what makes you so special? In my book, experience outranks everything. Great kid! Don't get cocky! I'm looking forward to completing your training. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. Well, isn't that special? (laughs) Of course. Well, we now come back to the second act in our universal Force-sensitive specialization discussion for the meat of this show. In our semi-regular segment, Well, Isn't That Special? Um, so, back in episode 43, Filbert and I scratched the surface with a very long overdue, uh, overlook specialization, um, the Force Sensitive Exile, and Phil, we had some fun with that. We had a lot of fun with that. Um, really, kind of the first of the universal specializations, we were kind of discussing how its inherent merits are frequently overlooked for its now available in Age of Rebellion counterpart, the Force Sensitive Emergent, which has been seen as a spec really with more teeth, you know? Right. Um, hopefully we did much in episode 43 to remove that belief and show the utility and cool capability of the Force-sensitive exile, but we long to get to the spec with more teeth, the true Force-sensitive emergent. Not content to hide in the shadows, the Force-sensitive emergent represents the more open Force user, still hunted by the Empire, but eager to openly use their gifts. We're going to see how the Force-sensitive emergent stacks up with the Exile and how it can be best used in varied cross-career ways for sizing up with our own build-offs, baby. So grab your holocrons and your itching for lightsaber hands, Gamer Nation, because it's time to bring the Force back to the fight on tonight's Order 66 podcast. So, we're sensitive emergent. Phil, tell us about this because it is. Um, people might be wondering if you want to follow along in their storybooks at home. 
Well, you can open your storybooks, that being the Age of Rebellion core rulebook, to page 292, and where you will find this wonderful uh, blue-backed spread for the Force-Sensitive Emergent. Yet another universal specialization, like the Force-Sensitive Exile. It is a specialization that does not have a career, but is part of all careers. Right. So, just as a reminder. Yep. This means you can always, it is always considered a career spec, so you never have to suffer a 10 XP cost spec penalty to take it. I thought it was plus 5. Nope, it's plus 10. Plus 10. Skills are plus 5 if they're not career skills. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm Yeah, that's right. I'm thinking of skills. Yeah, you're right. Yep, plus 10 for a cross career spec. Yeah. Um, also, much like its uh, cousin, the Force-Sensitive Exile, it has no bonus career or specialization skills. You get a Force rating of 1 upon taking the uh, taking the spec, but unlike the Force-Sensitive Exile, many players we've seen linger in the talents on this specialization, which do provide clear benefits to numerous builds. And this is in addition to becoming Force-Sensitive, which means you can start buying Force powers. And we've talked about this before, but keep in mind, guys, uh, if you already are Force-Sensitive, taking the spec won't get you an additional Force rating. <laughs> not, not at start, no. No, not at start. Um, and before it comes up in uh, notes or, or questions following the show, because it commonly does, the devs have clarified also that if you um, uh, it, it's it's kind of odd if you start your career in Age of Rebellion or Edge of the Empire, and then you cross spec into a Force and Destiny specialization, that does not grant you a Force rating. So there. So pick up Force-Sensitive Emergent or Force-Sensitive Exile. That is the only way you're starting your career in, e- in Edge of the Empire or Age of Rebellion to get a Force rating, period. Yep. So there. That, there's that. There. There is that. There so, is that. The, the Force-Sensitive Emergent, Dave, what is it about? I mean, we talked about last the last the, on, the, on the Exile talking about what it was about, but, I mean, what, what does it mean to be a Force-Sensitive Emergent? Well, it's a, kind of the same as being the exile, right? It's about being a force user, I mean, at the end of the day. Except yeah, this time, but... you're a little bit more forthcoming or bold about being a force user. Okay. You're 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 actively seeking, you're going you want to use your gifts to help yourself and help your allies. And you, but you're still struggling to to learn and to be and to become, you know? I mean, Basically, you're you're just tired of running. You're tired of hiding in the shadows all the time. And and so unlike the Force-sensitive exile, you're less concerned with being really discovered by the Empire because you're out there flaunting, hey, look at me, helping yeah. my people <laughs> and all that. And, you know, so you know, likewise, the Empire or those that would profit, bounty hunters or whatever, from exposing you to them because you've taken all that out of the equation because you just flat don't care. <laughs> <laughs> But, but that presents a great deal of risk. Well, sure, but it also means that a, a force sense of exile is rarely going to stand alone. Emergent. Uh, exile. Emergent, right. <laughs> They're both yeah. FSE, damn it. I guess one's I, FSE, one's I guess FSX. One FS, FSX, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to find a lot of these like inside the, uh, the, 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 the nurturing bosom of the rebellion or really kind of a well-armed, dedicated party of friends, the you know, the force sensitive emergent really is going to know that what he does in a very public sense is going to make him more hunted. And then by association, his party as well. 
<laughs> but I like the fact that the tree gives you a way to do that and yet still insulates and protects you from being found out immediately. With a couple ranks of indistinguishable in there, it allows him to be that weird Force-sensitive guy or, or, or that person who moved things with the box. It's more likely that people <laughs> will remember his actions rather than his physical act- and accurate description. Yeah. Hey, that's the guy that threw a chair at you with his mind. No way. Well, what did he look like? <laughs> uh... Just this guy, you know. He's a guy. He was a human. He was a human, and uh, yeah, he was kind of indistinguishable to me. <laughs> see what I, see what I did there? See what I did? I did. I did. Very well done. <laughs> okay, so you both are touching already on the talents that are in this spec, and we we've already said before one of the things that you know. Hopefully, again, back in episode forty three, we 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 saw a pattern of a lot of people ignoring the talents in the force sensitive exile spec, just taking the force rating and using it to then start taking force powers. But we hopefully we convinced you how beneficial those talents are. Well, here in the Emergent, the talents have some seriously concrete use, and we see players that are going into the Emergent really spending a lot of time in that tree, and so we do want to talk about those talents. Um, now, the Exile, uh, much like the Exile, the Emergent, um, as, as many of our specs do, really has two primary archetypes that players can follow within that tree. Um, and like the Exile, it, it's important to note that, with a few exceptions, these archetypes rarely provide an entire shtick on their own. I mean, like the like we talked about this last time, Phil. The, the Politico's rhetoric chain, or the tirade chain, you know, right? Um, or or the the mercenary soldiers command line, or the super sniper chain, um, you know, where you take these talents and they provide this encapsulated shtick all on their own. The 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 emergence talents are really uh, mostly designed to augment other trees in your primary career spec, or just provide flat out talent chain free skill boosts in their own right, which is a pretty common theme actually in this tree. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, but even then, still, you've you've got to feel uh, you've got to feel to either side of the tree. You've yeah. got uh, you, you got one that's really going to enhance you as far as combat goes, and another one that's really going to bump you up as far as getting into or out of social situations. Now, another, you're right. Now, another thing too about unlike the exile, I'd, I'd say I mean, I'd say because the exile was very clear cut. You had this division on either side for the most part. The yep. emer- the emergence archetype talent paths are winding. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, really focusing on one archetype or the other will take you far across the tree, especially when you start getting down to about the third, fourth row. Um, you know, so realize, guys, that as we go through these, they're not necessarily grouped by advancement and location on the emergent tree, but rather kind of by common usage and purpose. Many emergence because they have to travel all over the tree will end up straddling both of these archetypes and that's okay <laughs> but there's some that you can you can really focus on and we'll we'll, we'll talk about that um but um so what are our two archetypes that we kind of wanted to go go into with this quickly um there, there were two we kind of we kind of went for are, are either one of you eager to discuss one of them in particular i'll happily dive into the enhancer Go for it, man. Well, then I'll go with the Enigma. <laughs> Excellent. The Shadow. So the Enhancer set is the the left-hand side of the tree. It's the first two columns. And these set of talents focus actively on using the Force to augment yourself and enhance your abilities and your own checks. Uh, the Enhancer gets boost dice galore to combat useful checks because of the Force. <laughs> You know, they get helpful. Also, they get strain reduction and become one tough son of a gun as they delve through these left two columns. 
uh, starting on the left side of the tree with two ranks of uncanny senses and two ranks of uncanny reactions. Because screw cunning. <laughs> you don't need it. You make up for it with two boost dice to perception and vigilance. And really, unless you're playing a, a cunning-focused character, that's all you need. You're good to go. And if you are playing a cunning-focused character, God, you're going to be unstoppable in that arena. <laughs> yeah. You also get two ranks of toughened as you go through the tree. Four more points to your wound threshold never hurts, believe me. Um, especially in some builds where there could be few, very few and very far between. You also get two ranks of grit. You can hop over to the other side of the tree for the standalone rank in grit, and it's cheap. It's only 5 XP. Now, the other rank would be better served by not wading down through the right side of the tree, but working over from the left, grabbing sense danger and touch of fate before moving back up the far right side. Yeah, so we're really at this point starting to wade across that tree. Yep. Uh, then, from Touch of Fate, you can also grab Balance, which is a great talent that lets you roll your Force Dice when recovering strain to treat light side pips as extra strain recovered. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that gets you access to the two creme de la cremes when it comes to these talents, Dedication and Force Rating. Mm. They need no explanation. Though no. it's odd to mention... We have to say that this archetype pairs really, really, really well with the enhanced force power, which lets you use your force dice to move more creative ways to buff up your abilities. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You can you can be just a rockin', rockin' physical character with the with this shtick um, and the enhanced power. Mm. Oh yeah. Kind of, kind of, why we went for that. But this is an in-your-face archetype, man. Now, the other one that really sits on the tree, Dave, tell us about it, man, because uh, this is the shadow. This one is the shadow. Shadow? Lamont Cranston, wealthy man about town. <laughs> Hi, Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? Why, thank you. As the shadow is a little bit more of a sneaky one, they are really still enhancing themselves with the Force, but kind of using it for more of a stealthy, clouding the minds of your foe, aiding your allies covertly kind of way. This is a collection of talents that's a little more, more so than the Enhancer requires, wading through the talents that are not necessarily related to the archetype. Yeah. So we start here on the right side of the tree with two ranks in Undistinguishable and two ranks of Slight of Mind. And you can ignore Grit for the time being unless you really want it. So, two boost dice to stealth checks and a doubly upgraded difficulty to identify you if stealth happens to <laughs> fail. How about them apples? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you do have to move through balance and a rank of grit, but these talents are useful to practically any character at all. So, you know, again, if you really... Want to move over to Touch of Fate and Sense Danger? No build, you know, of any kind really is not going to make use of these. These are like the, uh, I mean, these are almost the must-haves out of this tree. And yeah. so, you know, that'll lead you to Force of Will, which, of course, is expensive. It's on the 25-point row or 25-cost row. But you use willpower as a replacement for another characteristics once per session. And that can be huge. Can be. Can be if you're yeah if you're if you're planning it right right or if you need it 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 may or may not be a value if brawn and agility are, are a little bit lower or you know maybe your character is more focused on high willpower and social character 
you know, or a force monkey. It can be invaluable, though, you know? But, and, you know, lastly, we have Invigorate down there, which will let you, unusually, I might add, add a force die to an ally's check. So, you're helping an ally. You're adding a force die for them, turning white pips into extra success. But dark side becomes threat. It's like a poor man's battle meditation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it kind of is, you know? I mean, again, you have to get through grit to get there, but... um, you know, some people may not think it's worth it. Some some may say, oh, this is indispensable. I've got to get there. But uh, that's, a, that's a 20 XP grit to get to that, man. I, uh, that's, that's rough. That's rough. But these are the two basic archetypes that we kind of see the, the talents divvied up into. Now, <clears throat> beyond that, these individual talents we talked about really do marry well with certain career combos. And much like the Force-Sensitive Exile... While these talents are useful, as we said, they really do see benefit when combined with other talents in primary spec. So I right. want to I want to talk about those next. Hold on, I want to back up for a second. What, what's up? It's not grit; it's toughened. It is toughened. Yeah, it is toughened. There's error in the show notes. Sorry. Um. <clears throat> okay. Well, that then I'm going to rethink that. That actually just... makes it I, because I I saw that toughened there, and I I was running through. I was like, wait a second. So then I I looked down at the book. I'm like, oh yeah, it's toughened. So, toughened, I mean, toughened is worth twenty XP. I lie. Two, two at that point in <laughs> yeah. time because you've hit it. Depending on your on your build, you've hit it four other times, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're making yourself a monster. Yeah, yeah. Toughened. Uh, I would say I don't care what your archetype is. Toughened is amazing for twenty XP or twenty five for that matter. That's it's. There's so much, so few ways to to to, to raise soak. So, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So okay. Well. You talk about getting it multiple times with certain talents. When we get into these cross-square combos, we're going to see a lot of that, I think. I really want to talk about these. What makes sense? What doesn't? Um, and as we are wont to do and to keep the show from being four hours long, we're going to spend some quality time in the source book where the emergent is found and then kind of touch on the rest. Now, Phil, Dave, listeners, before we get into this, I have a disclaimer. <laughs> Realize that there are two completely badass talents in the Emergent Tree, Sense Danger and Touch of Fate. These talents will heavily benefit any character build, any specialization from any career in any book. So we're just going to say that now, okay? (laughs) And not repeat these talents for each career and each specialization, because we would, because they're amazing, and make taking the emergent completely valid for nothing else if except for accessing those two talents okay right so we all good on that good good so so listeners you won't hear us bring up those talents again but you need to hear now that we recommend these talents for every single freaking spec out there for a cross class this cross career discussion so so are we talking about sense danger and touch of fate for every one of them or some Any, of them. There is no, no, every single possible build, in my opinion, could benefit from those two talents. I mean, would you disagree? No, I'm just taking a right turn. Okay. That's what it's, I do. Yeah, it's there. So let's talk about some career combos, man. Um, Phil, you want to lead us off? Yeah, and let's start at the beginning of the book. Uh, so we start with the ace. Now, there's honestly no direct, oh, wow, combination synergy here with the exception of uncanny reactions, which is quite handy for the pilot or for the gunner. Acting first in starship combat is very important. Rocket tag! (laughs) (laughs) But 
getting to those talents requires wading through uncanny senses and toughened, which is a little less useful for a dedicated pilot. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much it for Ace. <clears throat> well, after Ace, we have the commander. Um, Invigorate has incredibly solid mechanical and obvious RP uses for the Commodore and the squadron leader, really kind of rounding out the party's support abilities of those two specs. Right. But you got to make sure your GM is cool with using it in starship scale. <laughs> um, and he should be, damn it. It's a 25 XP talent we're talking about here. True. Um, he, he should be. He should be. Um, the Tactician um, gains benefit from Invigorate as well in much the same way, but really shines as a standout choice because it benefits heavily from multiple, and I should say cheap, grit and toughness ranks, as well as balance, um, since this is a much more, you know, frontline fighter. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fighter. 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 What about the Diplomat, Dave? Well, you know, the diplomat, I, I, I'm not much, I'm not one for fluff characters very often, but I do know that this is the one that really kind of lit your chili pepper on fire. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think, uh, as, as, uh, as you went on for about three and a half pages in our show notes with your build, you're going to see a lot of diplomat here in the future. Um, the ambassador and the agitator can be serious willpower heavy characters with high strain thresholds, and that's prime for a social combat monster. Yeah. So grit and force of will are terribly useful. So the ambassador can gain four ranks in indistinguishable by cross specializing in the emergent. And so basically no one's ever going to remember who it was. <laughs> the most famous and effective uh, ambassador that no one could ever remember. That's right. Well, you know, I mean, he was kind of funny looking in a general kind of way. Don't I, you know? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know that much. But, uh, you know, the the quartermaster has a few synergies here and there that are standouts with, uh, with the emergent, you know. So... Um, you know, aside from grits, aside from grits. <laughs> no, the quartermaster has. I don't think the quartermaster has any. Has 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 few. Stats. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. It and, has few. It has a few. It has few, as in hardly any, except for grit. Yeah, that's what I meant to say, and I just got all tongue-tied. So you know, social combat's going to help anybody, but grit's probably your your master there for for a quartermaster. But that's you know, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. But I I think we're going to be seeing ambassador coming up uh, agitator coming up soon in our future maybe possibly in possibly. the future maybe so for fixing things we've got the engineer uh the mechanic and the scientists are like oil and water with the emergent spec there's practically no <laughs> synergy here uh so unless you're going for sense danger or touch of fate and just trying to bump up some other areas you might be lacking in it, it doesn't create much of a cool co cross combo there no but then we get to the saboteur. They can ah, solidly yes. benefit from indistinguishable and especially sleight of mind, as this character with a strong, as this is a character with a strong need to often be sneaky and never be remembered for who or where they went. So saboteur and the emergent is a sick combo. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> then we get to the soldier. Now we get to it. Uh, I, just bottom line, the, the enhancer archetype we talked about, it's tailor-made for the soldier career. It's made totally. for it. 
Totally. Um, uh, the ability to spot and react quickly, as well as just talent after talent after talent of increased wound and strain thresholds. They're nothing but gold for a rough and tumble soldier. Um, and it is worth noting the commando with this cross spec, if you cross spec into a commando, you can access five ranks of toughened. Five. Yeah, that don't suck. That is a plus ten to your wound threshold, Padawans. <laughs> Um, and getting those talents in the emergent tree walks you through other incredibly useful talents for the commando, uncanny senses and uncanny reactions. So it's not like you're having to, you know, wait around too terribly. It's not a real big burden on you, you know, poor you. Mm-hmm. You can make just a ridiculous meat shield. Um, I mean, <laughs> with with a good cross spec here. So, I mean, for that you're totally, you're looking at easily over twenty, possibly even as high as twenty four, twenty five, just from that alone. That's a monster. That's insane. That's insane. You got a high enough brawn. So what about the spec that handles the other side of the tree really well? Oh, yeah. Dave, what about the spy? Ah, oh, the spy. Um, Yeah, so each of the spy specializations here really gains from sleight of mind, obviously, and indistinguishable. So it's, uh, in my mind, it's really tailor-made for spy. Mm. So being your, you know, if you want to join... Uh, any type of uh, organization there, like B613, for example, you can go ahead and do that. The Infiltrator can get five ranks of grit by cross-specking. That's plus five strain. That ain't bad. No, no, no. Um, the, the the Scout, the Quick Strike talents, mm. they marry up pretty well with Uncanny Reactions, so this always... This really kind of makes sure that the party's going to have a high initiative spot for the scout to gain his uh, quick strike boost dice. True that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Edge of the Empire honorable mentions. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I went through, and Phil, I know you did kind of too, uh, and, and, and we, to kind of look for some honorable mentions. Uh, All right. Ones that kind of struck out to me, the first one was Bounty Hunter, mostly because the the, the assassin for the most part. Um, has some of the most accessible ranks of Stalker and Quick Strike in the game we've seen so far. You can get to them quickly. They're inexpensive. Um, again, pairing that with Uncanny Reactions, Uncanny Senses, Sleight of Mind, this can become a stupid lethal character who is a literal ghost. The whole tree benefits the assassin. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. Both sides. Yeah, pro- that's probably my most honorable of mentions. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, from Edge of the Empire. Any others? Any others, guys? Uh, colonists. The Politico, who focuses on willpower, coercion, and scathing tirade, is well served with the force of will talent. Uh, so, you know, dive down that right side of the tree and then cross over to grab sense, danger, and force of will, and you've got yourself a sick combo there. That's kind of awesome. Um, other ones that popped up um, <clears throat> Hired Gun, Marauder, Bodyguard. Um, sure. Uh, all benefit uh, kind of as the soldier does uh, from the, the enhancer archetype talents, totally. Same reason as a soldier, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. Smuggler, too, a little bit with the slight of mind and indistinguishable that you would see with, like, the spy guy. Yeah. yeah. But that's for, you know, scoundrel and thief. Yeah. But, um... I'm kind of curious how well Force-Sensitive Emergent is going to mix in with the Charmer and the Gambler trees from, uh... Yeah. Uh, from uh, from fly casual, that could be a cool combo. When if depending on how those trees look, could be it could. Would be. you imagine doing gambler where you can't be recognized after you cheated somewhere? See, th- this that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, like, yep, that could be an awful lot of fun. 
Um, also, it's worth noting, you mentioned the scoundrel, Dave, uh, the smuggler scoundrel, that also has that same access to quick strike the scout does. Oh, that would um, help. So that, again, that good synergy with uncanny, uncanny reactions yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, guys, we've gone through all this. Um, we've kind of talked about how we see the two archetypes breaking out in this tree and the standout talents, how we see them synergizing with other careers out there. Let's put those synergies into practice and get into our build-off showdown. Um, and, you know, for those who may be listening for the first time, when we talk about a uh, – a, a spec like this, we we like to each then put it into practice and really kind of build our own spec, walking you through it. And then after this show is over, um, you can head to the d20radio.com slash forums uh, website uh, at d20radio.com slash forums, and you can go to the Order 66 boards and find the episode thread where you can vote on your favorite, and we'll see uh, who wins. So, all right, you hosers, who wants it? Who wants first to go through their build? I'll go first. Hit us, man. I'm, I'm, as always, I'm excited to see. Hit it. Hit it. The build that I'm bringing to the table is Koran Vita, nicknamed Cory, the mascot. <laughs> the concept of this build is the team's lucky charm. It's an archetype that's been seen many times in stories, particularly war stories. He's the character that somehow seems to survive situations no one else could, and his arrival to a team marks a turning point for the luck within that group, usually for the better. Run, of Corey! Sorry. Because of this, most of the mascots' teams protect their gifted ally and keep them all alive. So, nice. I wanted to start with a sociable and physically unintimidating race. So I decided to st- make this character a Twi'lek. Huh. Getting a free rank and charm will help endear him mm-hmm. to his teammates and anyone else they encounter in their adventures. Yeah. Also, I didn't want to make yet another human build. Ah. Ah. Uh, now he's going to be a soldier, so he's going to be in in any rather he's going to be a combat character. So I we need to get his brawn up, and we should get his agility up to respectable levels. By brawn up to two, agility to three. That's our first 50 XP. Now, the concept is is that this guy is a member of a mercenary unit. Uh, I actually went out of book and took mercenary uh, mercenary soldier. And there's a reason why I did this, instead of taking from one of the trees in here. And I'll get to that. So, he does need combat skills. I don't plan to go too far into the mercenary soldier spec, but I might work down the right side of the tree as I level the character, because the right side of that tree gets him into the support group, the, the, the support talents. Um, uh, oh, God, I didn't write it down. Um, it's not Skating Tyrant, it's the other one. The, the other one. Inspiring Rhetoric. Inspiring Rhetoric, right. So it, get, it, gets him, it gets him the ability to enhance and command his allies. No, no, it's the command line one. Uh, he's able to oh, okay. not necessarily issue commands to his allies, but give them tips and, and just bolster their confidence and, and help move that, better, that good luck along. But the important part of this career is that skills that will help him contribute to the rest of the team in combat and help solidify his role and reason for being in the unit. From hired gun career, I take piloting planetary, ranged light, Resilience and Vigilance. For Mercenary Soldier, I take Gunnery and Ranged Heavy. Corey can now use any weapon his strength allows. He's also a decent vehicle driver and has some Resilience and Vigilance to help him stay ahead of danger. So, after we uh, delve into that aspect of of the Mercenary Soldier, we move to buying Force Sensitive Emergent. Now, 
diving into a fourth sense of emergent, we go for uncanny senses. We go for uncanny reactions, sense danger, touch of fate, invigorate. All of these talents are ones that will get him more near and dear to his allies and benefit his own luck as well as those of his allies. Um, diving down to invigorate is uh, is a long-term goal for him. So really, his big thing is get the uncanny senses, get uncanny reactions, get sense danger. That way he can have those moments of, hey, wait, there's something out there. Wait, you know, and, and get that first initiative, get that first strike. That, that good luck charm theme, man. It's strong. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So... Now this is a this does technically mean that this character is a uh edge of the empire character. So that means he starts with obligation. Mm. Now, by buying uncanny senses toughened and uncanny reactions, so those are the first three talents that I picked up for him, uh as well as a little bit of grit for him to uh to uh to make him just a little more tougher in that regard. I'm now 5 XP in the hole. So I need to take some more obligation and he can also use some better gear. So I take an additional 10 obligation for 5 XP and 1,000 credits. And his obligation is family. Cory comes from a large family clan back on Ryloth. Recently, several members of his family were captured by slavers and sold to Outer Rim crime lords and nefarious businessmen. One of those reasons Cory took up the mercenary life is, is that those same individuals hire mercs or their opposition does. It increases the odds of him being able to find his lost family members and possibly bring them home. Odds are he'll be able to talk his teammates into helping him engage in any off-the-clock rescue missions he needs to undertake. Now, as far as equipment goes, Corey has a blaster rifle, padded armor, a comlink, a backpack, and a stimpack. Not a bad spread for your average mercenary soldier. Now, as he develops into play, I'm going to work down the two sides of the tree in Emergent. Uh, as I said, taking into sense danger, touch of fate, more ranks in toughened, and over to Invigorate. He really doesn't need Force of Will, doesn't really need Balance, but Balance will help him out personally. Uh, for Force Powers, I've got a lot of options as to where to go with this guy. Sense is very appealing, and for two, 20 XP, I can have something to commit that single Force die to and forget about it. Yeah. That whole line is probably worth sinking 40 XP into, so Corey can upgrade the difficulty of two incoming attacks against him. Now, influence is useful, too, playing into his charm and presence in the force just by bumping up his aptitude in that avenue. Now, for some far-out options, I was also considering Force C. That would be highly thematic and appropriate for glimpses and gut feelings about impending attacks, ambushes, or even hunches to where his team could move through enemy territory unopposed. It could also help him get an impression on where his lost family members are. If I really dove into that tree, I could help group for I could help the group further with boosting initiative checks and even providing some defense in the form of precognitive flashes for the first round of combat anyway. It's 4C. When you were saying that, it was like 4C, 4C. It's so cinematic of what he can do. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> uh, so I probably wouldn't be too eager to buy the force rating talent in the in the emergent tree until something happens in play to clue Corey in that he is force sensitive or that these lucky breaks could be honed and improved through practice. Mm. But I do like diving over to get I, I do like diving over to uh to, to get uh that, that force rating and, and especially if I get uh especially if I do pick up force C. Now this combat this concept could also work as an ace a soldier any career that has or any career in any specialization, really, just find a reason to be a member of a military-themed unit, which is really easy if you're in the Rebel Alliance. Yeah, dude, that's fun. 
I had a, I, I, now I gotta I gotta say that I actually came up with this character concept for our last battle. The, uh, the one where I eventually decided on the Gand Feinsman because as I developed this character and I capped it off, I looked at it and I said, this character works better in a Rebel Alliance game. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's, so, that's cool. Dude, I want this as a pre-gen, man, in one of my games. Yeah, uh, okay. Excellent, excellent. And, and this, this, is a, this is totally a pre-gen character. I love this, you know, as I, I, I remembered this kind of character and as, as I was putting it together, it reminded me how much I loved this concept because you get that from time to time. The, the mascot, the little guy, he, he, you don't know who he is. You, you, you don't think he's like, oh, he's not a great fighter. He's, he's not, but he's the heart and soul of the group, man. It's Corey. And everyone, it's calls him, everyone calls him kid. Hey, kid. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So, and and yeah, I would love to play this type of character. This this character could be a blast to play. Not very great at anything, but just helpful to everybody, and everyone wants to keep him around for as long as possible. It just sounds like a fun time. Awesome. Cool. Great. All right, that was mine. Who's next? That was good. Uh, I guess I can go next. If you want. All right. If you want it, take it. I didn't really flesh this out too much because I, you know, I always have some kind of a background, some kind of a motivation, right? So I want to introduce you to Gen Matrix, the Merlian Commando. Okay. So this guy is straight out commando, right? He's soldier, commando, got a chip on his shoulder. Tell me if any of this sounds familiar. His daughter was taken by spice traders and then ultimately sold to the Empire many years ago, and he still carries the vendetta. He single-handedly took on and destroyed the spice trade on Muriel for a time. So I'm not one for fluff, as you guys already know, so give me the big guy and send me in the battle. So that's what this guy is. Basically, <laughs> Sully, remember I'm, when I said I'd kill you last? Yeah. I lied. <laughs> there you go, right? So uh, we're going to build a tank that can kick ass and then mutter, I'll be back. <laughs> so we are going to, We I know I'm going to be in the hole a little bit uh, to, to pick up some extra duty in this case. I It, it probably works better with obligation, but I'm going to, I'm going to go like intelligence or something. Um, but anyway, his, his, uh, he's straight out, you know, commando. Class skills, brawl, range light, range heavy, melee. And so that was the that was his, his soldier his soldier class skills. So for the specialization of, of commando, he's gonna double up on brawl and melee. How you doing? Um we're gonna pump up uh we're gonna pump up brawn. That's gonna be thirty. 30 more XP, right? So, and then he just starts down the trees, right? Toughened, physical training, toughened again. That's 20. Uncanny senses, toughened, uncanny reaction. You know, that whole tree, right? He spent another 25 in there. So he's yeah. got two ranks of toughened in there. He had picked up uncanny senses. And then we're going to spend 10 each on ranged heavy and light. Then we're going to, we're going to train stealth. Even though it's not class, we're going we're gonna to dump 10 XP into training stealth. And that's got you pretty much a basic starting character, and yeah, you did have to buy down your duty a little bit. And still, that's the epitome of the enhancer, right there. 
Yeah, kind of. Except that, except he's 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 kind of gonna. He, my ultimate view for this guy is that he's gonna kind of bridge the gap because he is ultimately going to what I would do if I were playing this character is that I would move into indistinguishable and sleight of mind, uh, just be to be able to build on that stealth a little bit and. So when I ultimately find where my kid was, I can sneak up before I kick everybody's ass. But I'm still going down the toughened route and all that jazz, touch of fate, sense danger, the whole smash. And then you get to hook up with Radon and Chong at the end, and it's all it's all really cool. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, that was I don't know why that just uh, I just I just for some reason I got uh, I got uh, John Matrix in my head. So I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna build that guy. I like it. I like it. I don't think I need the force rating. He's just going to be a. He's just going to continue down the badassery talent tree, which is a combination of uh, force sensitive and uh, commando. You should take sense, similar to Phil's build. That way, he can just constantly commit it, so he always has eyes in the back of his head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Twenty XP. You'll never. You'll, you'll never think twice about spending. Yep. 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 Well, I guess that leaves me. Um. Let's hear it. This was kind of an odd one for me. Uh, I kind of went with theme over function. Does that make sense? Um, because this is not an efficient character to build. Okay. okay. That, that may cost me the competition. We'll see. Um, my build is Gozo Rawat, uh, the Lost Ithorian, or the Hammer of Vengeance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I, got, I got infatuated with the idea of the Ithorian's <laughs> um, nature. And uh, making it a character that has disregarded it completely. I think it's a very terrifying character. So Gozo is actually an agitator for the Rebel Alliance. Um, and a Thorian witness to just a ton of pain that's kind of reshaped him and molded him into this instrument of vengeance. And the idea is as a pupa, Gozo's herdship was decimated by Imperial forces and they slaughtered everyone on board. They scorched all the trees and plant life to ash. And the young Athorian was just one of the few survivors, and this horrifying experience caused him to turn his back on those ideals of pacifism and gentleness that's been favored by his people, right? Um, you know, good, strong PC. P- good PC background, right? He's a hammerhead sure. with vengeance on his mind. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> so he works as a oh. skilled <laughs> agitator uh, for rebel forces. And he's an equally skilled interrogator, which he relishes. And I really wanted to focus on a willpower-based character, someone who really focuses on dark words and threats to dominate foes and embolden allies and kind of comes into the force as he advances, discovering his affinity later in life. Um, and furthermore, like I said, this is not an easy build. It sacrifices tons of XP in favor of what I thought to be a very flavorful choice, especially because a Thorian is not the most um, efficient way to start. But okay. because of the Athorians' history and their culture in Star Wars, it just it just made too much sense for me. You know what I mean? For this type of character I wanted to build. So this build's going to stay almost entirely within the AOR core rulebook. Um, now, as again, I went with Athorian for two reasons. One, I wanted that cultural past that kind of ran current to his current line of work. Um, and then the other is mechanically, Athorians do have naturally high strain thresholds, crucial for social encounters, and a starting three in willpower, which is perfect for this coercion-based willpower monkey that I wanted. Okay, Willpower is the primary stat for this build, and ideally I want it at a four to start with, with at yeah. least twos, perhaps threes in cunning and presence. Um, also, Ithorians have an unassuming, deadly, and imminently concealable natural ranged attack. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, which no one's no one expects them to ever use because they're pacifists. So <laughs> the fools, the fools. So Thorians only start with 90 XP and that sucks. But the 30 XP I don't have to spend in willpower more than makes up for it compared to like human. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm immediately going to drop 40 of my starting XP to get to a four in willpower. I also want a three in at least one other social characteristic. And I'm going to go with cunning because it governs streetwise and deceit, something I see Gozo using a lot of. So uh, perception uh, to identify threats and potential allies and also survival. It'll govern, govern those as well. And um, Ithorians uh, get a, a free rank in survival, so that pairs nicely. Um, so another 30 XP gone, uh, gone um, bumping cunning up. So my 90 starting XP is now cut down to 20. <laughs> but uh, let's, uh, let's add a bit to it. Um, duty. So Gozo's duty is recruiting. He wants to bring his social skills to bear and engender support for the rebellion, but his real bloodthirsty proclivities have often left, left those he's agitated uh, to rebellion dead or captured instead of joining the rebellion. So this is my narrative as to why Gozo starts the game with the minus 10 to his duty value that he has. <laughs> um, and uh, mechanically, he'll take it for the plus 10 starting XP. So now we're back up to 30 XP in our build pool. Um this is where we start diplomat agitator. All right. Free diplomat career ranks and charm, deception, leadership, and negotiation. You are a social character. Then free agitator spec ranks in coercion and streetwise. You will then immediately spend 10 XP to get a second rank of coercion. It's what you do. Um, with our remaining 20 XP left, we grab ranks in plausible deniability, grit, and convincing demeanor. So what I now have is a starting character with two greens and two yellow pool for coercion and still fairly high pools for deception and streetwise with the capability to ignore a setback die from three of the primary influence checks. Um, now with the first XP I earn in this career, in this build, I move into skating tirade <laughs> and grab that because I've got the stupid high coercion. Once that's done, we move into force sensitive emergent. We take our next 20 earned XP um, as, as you advance the character. And at this point, Gozo's coming into his force abilities later in life. You move into force sensitive emergent. That, that burgeoning gift of the force begins to let him clown the minds of others. Um, here, indistinguishable at five XP. The idea being as an Athorian, Gozo's pretty recognizable. <laughs> so he needs that upgraded difficulty heavily, um, to keep people from identifying him. Um, sleight of mind at 10 XP. Uh, his agility is just god-awful, so he's got to get to a point in his career where stealth is needed and the boost die is going to be much appreciated. Then f 15 XP for Grit after that. At this point um, in his career, Gozo should be often called upon uh, for in, in, to do tough social encounters that are going to rob him of strain or perhaps the all-too-frequent use of his bellow, which will also rob him of strain. Um, so Grit, important. And lastly, I seriously consider, um, and it, you may or may not want to, but I think it's important, consider just dropping 5 XP on Insight for this build. Um, as Gozo begins to explore the Force within him as he comes into it, that ability to easily increase his discipline as a career skill is, is important for future Force powers he will take. So, um, yep. Now, back to Agitator. My next 20 XP should be spent on improved Scathing Tirade. <laughs> um <laughs> So now after about 90 earned XP, that's about five sessions. Like I said, this is not an efficient character. Um, Gozo is starting to become a seriously threatening creature, um, able to lie, gather information for the rebellion, and incite others without being recognized after the fact. Um, in combat, he takes advantage of his hefty 18 strain threshold uh, to bellow frequently. Um, 
And as I advance beyond that, um, so that, that's kind of where the character hits its stride, really, is about 90 earned XP. And beyond that, to really kind of flesh out the build, how do you spend future XP, um, back to the four sensitive exile tree to start with, uh, excuse me, emergent tree to start with, there's really three way, uh, four ways you can spend earned XP. Um, the first is more talents from the emergent tree, 20 XP for touch of fate. Um, I mean, do I really need to explain it? <laughs> 20 XP for sense of danger, sense danger, also just incredibly useful. And then lastly, 25 XP for force of will. And that's really where you're going to stop in the tree. That force of will is going to be the prime talent in the tree for Gozo. You know, once per session, when he really needs to, he can use that beefy four willpower for any skill check he wants. And that includes his resilience check for Bellow. So very, very useful for him. Other ways he'll spend is it, has it continually earned XP? Um, advancing ranks in coercion um, and discipline, cheap now that it's career skill form. Um, third rank in coercion makes him intensely terrifying for ten XP or for fifteen XP. Um, but his goal is to get discipline to three ranks ASAP. It'll cost him thirty XP to get there, but he can get there gradually. He doesn't have to get the full three ranks before moving into the influence power, which is the uh, um, the third thing he can do: drop ten XP to access the influence power. This is the one thing. This build has to leave Age of Rebellion for, uh, but it's worth it. Um, using the base power to force strain really helps Gozo's interrogations, and spend another 10 XP when he can to grab the first control upgrade for true mind trick capabilities, which is kind of why his discipline needs to be decent. Um, and then drop five, dropping 5 XP in either range or magnitude upgrades, whatever he finds himself needing to influence more NPCs or NPCs further away, maybe grab both. And the last thing to spend his earned XP on is more talents from the Agitator Tree itself. 20 XP on Intimidating. Um, the reduction in difficulty for Coercion is really nice. Uh, made all the more useful with his ridiculously high strain threshold. But this is a gatekeeper talent for Incite Rebellion at 25 XP. The, the crowning talent for the Agitator. Gozo's incredibly high Coercion will let him instantly get people to switch sides during a fight. And that's really what crowns him out. So... Again, I think this build starts to hit its sweet spot at around 90 earned XP, but start to finish, this build reaches its endpoint at 270 <laughs> earned XP after character creation. Very hefty, but very worth it, in my opinion. So that is Gozo, my uh, my crazed Ithorian mercenary. Gozer, the, the traveler has come! Yes. <laughs> Gozo. Chris makes the long, the the long build character this time. I like it. I like it. This, yeah. I, I've got a soft spot for Anthorians. I, I have a lot. I, I have a this this. I don't know. They they just seem like a really cool alien race to me. And I had a lot of fun playing an Anthorian Jedi once. And and this this is so off the. I don't want to say it's off the rails because it's not. But it's so such a different take on what they're known for. <laughs> wow. That's that's what that's what drew me to it. So yeah. We Is apologize there? to all of you in the chat. Apparently, we kind of had a uh, Twitch broke for like five minutes. Oh, but Twitch is better. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, how, I love how somebody already left saying, oh, it's breaking up too much on me. I can't take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. <laughs> That's right. Well, guys, this has been our look at the Force-Sensitive Emergent, and uh, hopefully you can see kind of how it stacks up to Exile and its use standpoint. It is a much more in-your-face talent tree with a lot more straight-up abilities that are easily accessible and useful. There wasn't a whole lot of tricky talking here. 
not a whole lot of things really off the you know really off the beaten path. It makes sense what you can use this uh, this spec for, and it it makes sense how you can combine it with other other trees out there. So hopefully you enjoy it and uh, get out there and start emerging yourselves. So there. <laughs> so there. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have this for you. Let him take that back, huh? Neil's finding what you need. Black market. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> Welcome to Wado's Black Market, where the skeezy scoundrels of the Outer Rim Territories can procure the weapons and the gear to make a living on the edge of the Empire just a little more tolerable. Just a little bit. A wee bit. So tonight's trip to Wado's is brought to us. <clears throat> oh my gosh, there's an error in the show notes. I don't have who it was brought to us by. Oh my gosh! Wow. This is, this is not good. This is not good. I, I'm 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 freaking out. I'm I'm completely freaking out. Do you guys That's recall right. you start it? I'll find it. Well I'll, no, do you I'll find it. Do you do you guys do you guys recall this? Because it was so so it was it was requested to discuss core chemco fire paste. Right. right? Yes. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember because uh, it was just a fairly recent request, actually, um, that it was made. And Please. it was made by. Please. I'm pulling it. It was up. made by Five Fi Guy Six O. It was Five Guy. Five Guy. God. But it's Five Guy Six O Three. Phil. Five Guy Six O Three. Yeah. Five fi Guy Six O Three. But you, you know it, it it because it was listed in the creative uses for fire paste. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> They're brought to us tonight by the letter R and the number six. <laughs> All right. So, what was uh, what 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 did Fire Guy have to say about this? Because he had some interesting thoughts. Okay. So, he says, "Could this be used on a melee weapon to add a burn quality for an hour?" Hmm. <laughs> I have a vibro axe, and it, I feel like this could add a level of fear to a coercion check in the manner of a boost die or an upgrade. Could I ignite the edge of the blade and burn all my victims while its effects lasts? Would it damage my weapon? <laughs> fire, 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 fire. Would it require basic cleaning, maybe? Could this be used as a weapon? Could be linked to something that can explode like fuel cells or alcohol? Alcohol. It says it burns with the intensity of a small campfire. It freezes. It's enough to start a fire somewhere really easily. Perhaps our Wookiee has a hot date, and our tomfoolery player convinces him that his new body wax will help him get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that one just uh, that one got me. That can Maybe you can tears. terrify Ewoks with your magical powers. <laughs> what if we go to an uncivilized world and use it to frighten any life forms found? Like a maybe use it like a lighter in medieval times, simply <laughs> uh, like a fairly inexpensive tool with lots of uses. So I guess like more powerful matches, <laughs> maybe. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, Cork Chemco Fire Paste. Phil, tell us about this amazing item and uh, what exactly it does. Sure. Uh, it was produced by the Corellian Chemical Corporation, hence Corchemco, which is actually a subsidiary of a company called Chiweb Algma Amalgamated Pharmaceuticals. Or Say that eight times fast. They have a storied history in the oh, EU. Cat for short. Mm-hmm. They did have a storied uh, fi- history. Mm-hmm. Fire paste is a simple item readily available for any survival emergency. It is packed in small one-time-use cubes with in integrated igniters. This chemical putty can be used to ignite and sustain emergency fires. You simply smear the cube onto a fuel source, pull the tab on the igniter, and poof, you've made fire. Fire! I have made fire! Look if what I have created! If you a fuel source like wood, it can be a simple and amazingly effective fire starter. But... Even without a fuel source, the cube of the stuff will burn on its own for roughly an hour, at the same heat and intensity as a small campfire. And it can burn in any atmosphere, just not in a vacuum or underwater. It still needs oxygen, so... Right. Now, with a rarity of one, an encumbrance of zero, and a cost of three credits a cube, it's basically, as Fi Guy puts it, a really powerful match. (laughs) Though I wouldn't recommend lighting your death stick with it. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) And because, quite simply, it makes fire. (laughs) So it makes fire. Woo! Okay, so from a narrative perspective and a mechanical one, thank you, Phil. You're welcome. Um, That's it. So what is the benefit of dropping even a paltry three credits on this item? I mean, it's really cheap, but is the GM really going to ding you for being unable to make fire? (laughs) It's like... Mm. Our ships crash. We're gonna start a fire. Oh, you don't have the ability to start fire. Make, yeah. make a survival check. Um, I mean, <laughs> basically, what? But, but I mean, <clears throat> what? What are some of the creative uses we can do with this? I mean, from, a, from talk to me, guys, from a player perspective. I mean, because Five Guy had some very creative suggestions, but uh, are they too good? <laughs> well, okay, maybe. Like, so for example. Let's say, and we've seen this on occasion, you're at the beach with your significant other, and you're having a good time with your friends. You've built a small campfire, but you're drunk, and you step in the damn campfire. Do you catch fire? Not really. It hurts, but you don't catch fire. No. Only if you spilled bourbon on you. Right. So, I'm not digging on the whole weapon coated on the stuff is going to do extra damage for a period of whatever. So, yeah... I mean, it, unless you're unless you like take your weapon and you say, "Hey, hold this for a second. <laughs> and then they're gonna like hold the burning end, like that's gonna happen. But that being said, though, holding a fire, uh, holding an axe that's been lit on fire <laughs> with some, yeah, no, I mean, I, I get that. But you know, how often is that gonna happen? Flaming right? axe is that, that's gonna be intimidating. It, I think intimidation, yeah, it works for that, but. So I mean, what would you say if a player did this to his weapon, like Five Guys suggested? Would well, I mean, would you would you upgrade his coercion check? Would you give him a boost die? Or what would you? Yeah, yeah, because I got to admit that you know, if someone is holding a giant flaming battle axe and threatening me with it, I am more likely not to want to get hit with it any more than if it wasn't on fire. Right. <laughs> to me, that that smacks very strongly of a circumstantial or environmental effect. Absolutely. So, I mean, I would treat that as boost die territory, but I agree with Dave, man. I wouldn't give it the burn quality. That's a bit much for three credits. Right. 
What's the old saying? If it look if if it looks too good and it sounds too good, it's eh, too good. It might be. It yeah. Might now be you know, I dare you in your min maxing ways to uh, why don't you go ahead and apply that to the end of your lit lightsaber? <laughs> well, that wouldn't <laughs> last very long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just vaporized. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That'd be awesome to have a lightsaber on fire. Okay, so. Maybe Fi Guy's suggestion of using it to like to apply the burn quality for weapon isn't very good, but right. like I like the idea of of uh, you know maybe giving a boost to coercion checks if you if you do it in a menacing fashion. Mm-hmm. What other creative uses could it be used for? Molotov cocktail. Well, there you go. Ooh, absolutely. I just yeah I just spouted that off. Sorry, that's not in the no. Show that, notes, uh, but that's I just, a great uh, one. You yeah. know, I get some flammable alcohol or 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 a gas canister and put this on it, pull it. And throw it. Heck, if it's in a plastic container, uh, 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 if anyone's thrown anything in the campfire, like uh, like you do when you're a Cub Scout, when you're a Boy Scout, and the adults aren't looking, you put something in the campfire long enough, pressure's going to build up, and it's going to explode. Right. So even if you have gas in a gas in a in a uh, plastic container, you put a cube of this on it, you will ignite that thing. You've got yourself a timed explosive, friend. Yeah. No. That's and that's that's kind of where I'm going with that as well is you can especially if you put it in a confined space you can make one hell of a boom oh yeah um uh, someone uh, what about the idea of uh basically hacking a fire suppression system and by creating an actual fire on one particular sensor but maybe not something that alerts anyone to hey wait we've got this fire going on where the heck is it i can't find it oh so you like smear like like so you <laughs> <laughs> okay, so hacking it in the traditional sense of of creating a physical hack. Yes. Uh, it's interesting. Or just setting off a fire as a way to set off a fire suppression system, you know, to to cuz in Star Wars it may not necessarily be water, it's probably giant like R2 does in on Cloud City, creates this huge cloud of fire suppression gas that obscures a large area of combat and and of of, of a battlefield that can cause all, you know, if you don't have anything at hand that easily um, easily set it off. Just use this stuff. It's three credits. Pop it. Goes and and there's your cloud. Yeah, I get that. I like the idea of building on what you guys were saying a minute ago. Of you know, every time I watch action movies and there's like spilled gasoline or fuel somewhere, <laughs> leave the <a> weapon three. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the 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 hero always like pulls out a Zippo and like lights a cigarette and then tosses the Zippo in slow motion and it lands in the puddle of fuel that's and it catches whole, on fire. That's the I can, see, I can see him pulling out the cube of fire paste and like with his teeth pulling the tab, <laughs> just as it tosses in the air. Only if he mutters "Yippee ki yay, motherfucker!" at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually had some PCs who used this stuff to a very off-the-wall idea. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah, it was in my it was in my actually my first another long shot campaign, my first game session. My Galactic Alliance aligned PCs disguised themselves as an Imperial tech crew to get access to a guarded cargo bay. In the bay, they found an Imperial astromech droid with some crucial data on it. Pressed for time, because the real crew was due to arrive at any minute, they opened the droid's dome and smeared some fire paste on the underside, away from (laughs) crucial systems, and attempted to walk the now heavily smoking droid past the stormtroopers on guard with an excuse of, this droid is malfunctioning, look at it, we need to bring it down to maintenance, stat! 
This totally earned a boost die in their deception check, and the stormtroopers, not understanding binary and mistaking the droids' objections as another aspect of the malfunctions, let the PCs walk out the door with the droid. That is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. It was one, it was one of those genius moves of, I want to use Firebase and have giant gouts of smoke come billowing out from under his dome. I'm like, go for it. <laughs> Sally Forth. <laughs> Sally Forth. Uh, the fact that you use Sally Forth is uh, also phenomenal in and of itself. Why, thank you. Why, thank you. <laughs> so that's from a player's perspective. What can a GM do? Oh, man. Um, oh. Uh, as a GM, I can procure this stuff in quantity. <laughs> Perhaps oh, by the barrel. Oh, boy. Here we go. And I can use it interestingly. Imagine... Imagine a battlefield with a trench dug and filled with hundreds of cubes worth of this stuff. <laughs> One pull of the tab and pow, fire moat. <laughs> That's going to last at least an hour. At least an hour. At least an hour. I mean, and, and you have to ask yourself, once it's been smeared around, would the PCs be able to identify it easily? Mm. I mean, after it's been smeared, I, I, I don't know. You can okay, now, split now, the party that way. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, I don't, I don't, obviously this stuff is not explosive. It, it, I mean, it pretty much says so in, in the description of it because it's not an explosive, but enough of it could make an explosion if used correctly. And kind of what you were talking about earlier, Phil, with putting the, putting the can of, uh, the can in the campfire basically and watching it go boom. Sure. When I was a kid, um, I used to, and this, God, this is kind of su- pseudo psychoanalysis actually. When I was a kid in Scouts, we would get a box, you know, you get the giant boxes of kitchen matches, right? We would take yeah. we would take a whole box of kitchen matches, like two hundred of them, and we would sit there with our pocket knife and we would cut off the heads. So we had just all the heads, two hundred heads of matches, and we would take a racket ball and cut a slit in it, and we would fill it with those two hundred heads and then wrap it in tape. And before we before we wrap it, we put we cut a little sliver of sandpaper and stick it in there, and before we wrap it in tape. Oh God! And basically, you have a grenade, like like a, 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 an impact grenade. We you hurl that thing at a cinder block. And it compresses and with sandpaper in there, and all the heads ignite simultaneously in that enclosed space. And it just makes this incredibly loud explosion. And it cr- cracks a cinder block in half, right? Uh, <laughs> oh, God, kids, you're going to try this at home, but don't try this at home. <laughs> so the thing is, these, these fire paste cubes, they're not restricted. And they're so easy to find and possibly stockpile. Um I imagine them being a, a poor man's explosive, getting into a place that's used creatively like that in a way that you could never get explosives into. So imagine our PC party that I'm GMing has been charged with protecting this valuable NPC, some public figure whose life has been threatened at some upcoming public speech. And securing the area, scanners that they've purchased and spend all their time in scanning, they find no weapons, no traces of explosives whatsoever, but they find a crate that's got a few of these things sitting at the bottom of it, and it's been dumped over, and the crate was big enough to hold thousands of these fire paste cubes. And uh, behind, a, underneath like a curtain nearby, they find a, a replica of the, or what looks like a replica of the podium this guy's going to be speaking at. But it's the actual podium. <laughs> All right. You know, that has been, you know, so, the, so they've had some replica that's been filled with these cubes and is going to make a, you know, a, a, a compression bomb while this guy's talking, all right? You know, stuff like that. You know, there, there's all kinds of creative little things you can do with it. But I like the idea of procuring this stuff in mass because it's something that's easy to get a hold of, not restricted, and by its own definition is not going to be picked up by weapon scanners or explosive sniffers. 
you can do a lot of creative things with it. And your PCs potentially, or NPCs for that matter, are not going to pick up on it necessarily as quickly. So, I don't know. What else? What about you, Phil, Dave? Any other creative GM uses you can think of? I don't know about creative GM uses, but honestly, this stuff seems like it should be a, a one of those must-have items in any saboteurs or uh, any saboteurs uh, uh, bag of tricks. Um, there's there's just so much you could do with cube of this stuff, and given the right situation, I mean, a campfire temperature flame, you give it long enough time, it it will destroy things, it will burn things, it will burn through things, and it will ruin things. Um, imagine one of these things in a you slapping one of these things in the Star Wars equivalent of an electrical panel. Ooh. Or under a, or or you open up a a fuel cell or an engine for a for a vehicle well maybe not the engine itself but some critical key component that does not react well to external temper to uh to heat and external temperatures you know much like the plastic container full of gas with one of these things you've got yourself a, a timed sabotage device mm. you know put one of these oh there there mm. you go from the other side the flip side an imperial saboteur you get enough of these things you, you, imagine what damage you could do with 10 of these things in an x-wing yeah yeah. Ooh. And they're like you said, they're cheap. They're easy to carry. They're almost innocuous. They're like, what's that? A chemco fire cube? And eh, whatever. You don't think twice. You you wouldn't think twice about them. It's a survival tool. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like a box of matches or a lighter. Nobody would think twice about it. Yep. Yep. So it's cheap. It's 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 mundane, but it it's dangerous. Very cool. Very cool. Excellent suggestion, Fly Guy. Thank you. If you guys have any suggestions you'd like to discuss for equipment or other items in Watto's Black Market, you can, of course, head to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums and post them up. You'll find a dedicated thread in the Order 66 podcast boards just for Watto's. Yeah. I must begin to refuse my message. Messages from the edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge and assistance. Ah, yes. So here we are again in the messages from the edge, and this is where we regularly stop down to answer your game and rules questions about this fine system. And I know you're asking yourselves a couple of questions. One... What is that typing noise? And two, how do you get that stuff to us? And I'll tell you, if you go to d20radio.com slash forums, you register, and you post on the Order 66 podcast board, you will find a Messages from the Ed sticky thread. Of course, you can email us your questions. GM Dave at d20radio.com. GM Chris, d20radio.com. Or if you're bold, GM Phil at d20radio.com. Be bold. That's right. Or if you are truly among the warrior elite, like Zertz, for example, you can leave us a voicemail on the D20 Radio hotline at 262-D20-RADIO or 262-320-7234, and we welcome any and all voicemails, and usually they get played like this one, for example. You ready, gentlemen? Go for it. All right, here we go. This is uh, from Captain Zertz. 
What's up, Gamer Nation? Zertz here with a question on pre-generating characters for module play. Now, I'm no stranger to running modules at conventions, in particular Westman's long-running PrairieCon, but I do have a terrible confession to make. Often, I just slap some pre-gens together, sometimes even the day of. Other times, I have nicely put together well-annotated sheets for stats, in-character correspondence, background notes, and suggestions on how to play. But what I have never done is give much thought to exactly what pre-gens to include and how to build them. I'd love to hear what the best practices are so I can turn over a new Maple Leaf, especially with pre-gens to build for Gamer Nation Con 2015. Thanks, and of course, sex in advance. <laughs> he was the one that originally coined this thing, wasn't he? Yep, sex in advance. And Turn I'm not and I'm still people. not sure that he actually said sex in advance. I think Chuck just heard it that way. Turn exactly. a new maple leaf. Turn wow. a new maple leaf, exactly. That's oh love it. That's great, Mrs. Arts. We're glad y'all are gonna be back here. This is uh, gonna be awesome. Absolutely. I love the Canadian contingent. <clears throat> so, Phil, you and I actually had a very interesting episode that you and I did whack back before Gen Con where we actually touched on this. Yep, episode 35, Conventional Wisdom. Uh, I think one of the most, ba- and, and you would be well well served going back and giving that a listen. But specifically in focusing on, on your particular question, I think one of the most basic things concerning pregens is to make sure that they have something to do and do it well. You know what encounters you're going to have. So make sure each encounter has an opportunity for at least a third to a half of your party to really shine in that encounter. Or another way to look at it is this. Look at the number of encounters you have and have each PC have an ability set that meshes with two-thirds of them. That way, you have characters that feel like a boss in some encounters and are challenged to contri- and are challenged and come up with creative ways to contribute in others. I would agree. I yeah. would agree. That's good. Another thing we didn't talk about, I know, in our episode 35, but I think is a kind of a good watermark. If you're going to be building pregens for especially a convention module, mm-hmm. um, you should try incredibly hard to make sure that none of them share the same career. Yes. Not specialization, career. Okay. Yeah. Um, and because one, you the, the careers are so radically different in terms of their skill choices. It's going to give you a lot of diver- diversity and versatility here. Um, but also, Phil's excellent advice that he just gave you um, will do you double duty. Because if you've created six pregens from six different careers and you can't have encounters that two-thirds of them can shine in, you need to rethink your module. There you go. Right. So- so that's uh that, that's extremely good advice from, uh, from from the boss man there, sir. So thank you. Yep. Good question. All right. So right in comes from Rennick, and he says this: Hey, order sixty sixers. That's us. I have a simple question. I'm hoping folks can help me out with. I'm GMing an Age of Rebellion game and am currently designing a ship for the party's ISB agent nemesis. The ship is going to be a modified CR-90 cruiser inspired by Wraith Squadron's Nightcaller and the Far Star from the WAG Darkstrider campaign. I'm hoping this will be a ship that partly eventually st- that the party eventually steals for their own use. My question is in regard to the ship attachment retrofitted hangar bay. 
and whether or not the modification options increase the size of an individual ship in the hangar can be, i.e. less one less than the carrier, or if it's just a change to the total silhouette. I ask because I'd like the PCs to be able to hold their shuttle in the hangar. I know as a GM I can just say what it was built for, but thematically I'd rather it that the agent modded it after the fact for his own purposes. Yeah. That's an excellent question, Rennick. Mm-hmm. And I do like your idea. I'm a huge fan of having transports the PCs can, uh, can use to carry around their smaller ships with, like uh, you know, like a light freighter that carries around a fighter, or sometimes two. Um, your question was mostly answered on our forums, but for the benefit of others, we'll answer it here as well. The modification options increase the capacity of the hangar bay for the retrofitted hangar bay, not the size of the individual ship that can be stowed in it. So if you max out the mods on a retrofitted hangar bay in a Silhouette 5 Corellian Corvette, it can carry a number of vehicles whose total Silhouette equals 10, but no one ship can be larger than Silhouette 3, which is the Silhouette of the big ship, the Corellian Corvette, which is 5, minus 2, which is the limit of the hangar bay. So if your PCs are trucking around in the Silhouette 4 Lambda-class shuttle, for instance, they wouldn't be able to stow it inside the modified Corellian Corvette. Uh, the posters online did point out several Silhouette 3 shuttles that could fit your needs, from the Silver Cloud in Sons of Fortune to the snazzy HK-290 light freighter from Far Horizons, the ship that was based on Kyle Katarn's Moldy Crow. Um, they did point out that it sounded like you were looking for something like the Phantom, which was in uh, the uh, Star Wars Rebels uh, cartoon that's out right now. A small shuttle that docks on with a larger one that can carry a lot of people, just not in any real comfort. <laughs> and there's also no reason you couldn't have their larger shuttle clamp onto the Corellian Corvette through a dorsal or ventral hatch and ride externally. Uh, the hangar bay would protect anything within the bay, but anything clamped on outside, you know, you could be can theoretically be a larger craft. Uh, Darth Pseudonym, I wanted to point this out, he even came up with a neat starship clamp uh, attachment in the homebrew section of our forums that could work nicely if your PCs are insistent on keeping their larger shuttle. Yeah, that was a good, a good house roll. Very well balanced, actually. Good one. Um, yeah. Very cool. I like it. Yeah. I mean, Phil, you hit on it, man, but, I mean, yeah, it, it kind of is what it is, but, uh, I don't know, like, GM hand-waving, I mean, dock it, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be inside the Corvette, you know what I mean? Dock it. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. All right, next, strong arm, 85. Comes at us with a sizable query. All right, so my PCs have been playing since age core dropped, and... Uh, really rack the duty and contribution ratings. In fact, their contribution rating has become so high that they gained MC-80 Liberty Cruiser as a party resource. Oh, God. <laughs> How often are you playing? <laughs> Not often enough. Yes, too much is never enough. Now, given the narrative of the campaign so far, it makes complete sense for the PCs to be either in command of this ship since they're basically fighting a war against Hydra, but from within the Empire. Awesome. So would it make sense then for the PCs to potentially be controlling multiple characters at this point? Perhaps a few people who are 
part of their ship's command crew? I mean, it doesn't make sense for the same six guys to be traveling together on every single mission when they're in charge of over 5,000 troops and they will be recruiting. Also, any advice on what to do when the PCs have access to this much firepower? Well, personally, I send a ship at them that has more, but that's just me. Help me, GMs. You're my only hope. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Well, personally, I don't know if I'd give my PCs an MC-80 Mon Cal Cruiser as a reward for any contribution rank. (laughs) How do you get that? Even if you're like, how... Like, I, I'm thinking like 14, 15. <laughs> I don't know. A contribution rank? <laughs> I mean, at that point, it almost feels like it's an end game. It's it's the end of the PC's adventuring career as now they're captains and senior staff on a Mon Cal cruiser. Well, you know. That's a sizable asset to the Alliance. Still, it's a neat storyline if utilized correctly. Uh, okay, so okay, so you've got this modern Cal cruiser, and you're not retiring. So what can you do with it? <laughs> I don't know, man. First, I, I've seen one of those things blown up in a single shot before. Yeah, well, that was because Death Star. Well, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a lone cruiser is going to be a very tempting target for the Empire. They should be tracking and hunting that ship because a Star Destroyer squadron, which is one imp star with several support ships, can take on a Mon Cal Liberty and take it out. They should be under constant threat of being discovered, cornered, and destroyed. Exposing that ship is almost as bad as a Force user activating a move power on a speeder or igniting a lightsaber. It screams, Look! The Rebellion is here! (laughs) Sure, a lot of problems can be solved through the application of the cruiser's turbo laser and ion ion cannon batteries, but they're going to have to bring those guns to bear first. If you have a constant threat of suitable opposition in place, enough ships to severely damage or destroy the cruiser, your PCs will be hesitant to risk their shipborne home base. And if they do risk it, don't pull punches. Let the dice fall where they may and wreck that cruiser if that's what happens. <laughs> because they'll have now, a ship to escape with, so you know. Oh, yeah. Mm. Now, I do dig your idea of having the PCs with multiple characters aboard the <clears throat> ship. It would allow you to come up with a variety of adventure ideas, and the PCs can decide which of their characters to bring on the adventure. You can also do split missions, where one session involves starfighter pilots and other ship-based characters trying to run a planetary blockade to deliver the ground team PCs, who have their adventure next uh, next session. Hmm. It's an idea that was done before, back in the old West End games, the Dark Strider campaign. You might want to go take a look at that if you can find it. I know you can find a PDF of it over at the d6holocron.com in the downloads section. Uh, go and check it out. It may give you some great ideas. But what do you guys think? Yeah, um, I guess we'll, let's start with the I... first point. Would you ever give your PCs like almost unrestricted control over a, such a large capital ship? Chris, uh, Chris and, and Phil, look at my stream right now, and I'll say no. <laughs> <laughs> Not just no, no. Yes, no. right. You have see. So you had to. You had to watch that to be able to see that. I. I. I don't know. I <clears throat> close to end of campaign, maybe. But if if they've gotten if they've gotten like you know like you were saying fifteen contribution or something like that. I. I mean, it's it's within the realm. I think. Okay, but the thing is, though, the damage has been done, right? I mean, they got it. 
I mean, I mean, it's really douchey for the GM to retcon. Oh, sorry, guys, they're taking it away from you. I listened to Order sixty six, and they said I was wrong. They said I was wrong. I don't think he was wrong. I think the the challenge for this GM now is going to be challenging his party without denying them the use of their resource. Yeah, and it's it's because they at least so far they've they've earned it, right or wrong, they've earned it. So, like my gut tells me that. You know, give them a mission that's going to involve it's <laughs> the MC eighty. Give them give them the mission that the, the mission that's going to involve their cruiser. Okay, um, but kind of like Phil, you hinted on this earlier, man. Like, uh, you know, this thing's going to be hunted, right? It's going to be a lone cruiser, so they can't deal with stupid weapon batteries or like planetary defense systems easily, right? I mean. If you if you have access to a Monkel cruiser, the rebellion's gonna be like, all right, guys, we need you to go take out this, you know, loading oh, tie fight, this Tie Fighter production facility. Pretty much, you know, that's that's orbiting Coruscant. Have at it, okay? And and you know, and you got all this stuff to wade through. The ship just can't do it. It'll get even even as as nasty as it is. It'll get blown out of the water. So what has to happen? Well, everyone's too scared. So. The, the the PCs have to sneak themselves into system beforehand and undertake a series of harrowing missions to bring down the planetary defense grid, okay, and right. and and sabotage six other things so that their cruiser can come in and do the dirty work of blowing up this entire facility. And maybe even at that point, they're back on board for a final battle against another cruiser and a, and some supports support fighters, you know. Right. But th- I mean, that's where that's kind of where I I'd, I'd leave it, but. Or you could just be a really douchey GM and just say, "Hey, by the way, I need you to go check out this planet because we've we sent a we sent a party over to this planet and they disappeared and we haven't heard from them." And then as soon as they get into orbit, they realize it's a planet that has rings, and all of a sudden, every rock in the ring gets thrown at them, and their ship blows up because of a gravity <laughs> weapon. <laughs> oh, you know, I you know you guys made you guys made checks. Hey! Oh no! no, 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 no. I wasn't saying that about that mission, about that at all. I was I was talking about the Star Destroyer, but um no, that that I did not think that that was too hard, but I'm just saying that's a way to get rid of a big ship like that. I don't know if I'd get rid of it though. I mean, the more I think about it, 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 it if handled carefully, it can be fun. I mean, if if every session ends with and then we have the Moncal cruiser shoot and blow it up, then yeah, you're doing the adventure wrong. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. But if you, you could have this, you could have the Rebel Alliance decide, okay, look, we've got this sector over here in the Outer Rim. It's got a moderate Imperial presence. We need to tie up these forces that are over there. So we're going to send your ship over there to fight that in that sector. Right. You are going to be the Rebel Alliance in that sector. This cruiser cannot be destroyed. We, we will need this later on, but you need to harass them and tie up those forces. So then it becomes a game of serious hit and fade on a much larger scale, where this thing comes in, deal, does some damage, makes a, makes an impression, does something, yeah. and then has to run from the empire for the rest, you know, for like a that's, session or two. That's exactly what I was, you know, and and what I was thinking was that they, they, these guys have got to be pretty close to endgame or something, right? So make it Battlestar Galactica. I mean, their yeah. entire rebel whatever gets blown to smithereens. Everybody is is basically scattering, and they are now on the run from what would be the Cylons, or really, the Empire. And they're on their tra- and they're on their tail. They jump, they go to hyperspace, and somehow they find them. And then they have to 
hyperspace again. It's I don't know. It's kind of cool to make it a chase for a while, like you said. All right, so I don't have the book in front of me, but maybe when you guys do the research, I'm curious to know what the backup hyperdrive is on an MC-80. Working. But I'm thinking that there's a saboteur on board. All right. Cool mission. And keep it on the ship. Yeah, it's a resource. But it all becomes an environment. The mission is on the ship. There's a saboteur on board. What's, what is it, Bill? Times nine. Times nine. Okay, so there's a saboteur on board, right? He's disgusting, he's awful, and he ends up completely demolishing the primary hyperdrive. Okay. And this could be a mission to even stop him or ferret it out, right? And the PCs are stuck in their last mission in like wild space or like the unknown regions or the ass end of the galaxy, right? And all they've got is this times nine hyperdrive, which is pretty freaking slow, all right? From where they need to get to where they need to get. So it becomes this game of several sessions of them, sort of Starkate style, Stark Universe style, like jumping into a new system to try and find hyperdrive parts, okay, to, to, to fix the MC, but they can't. Totally. And the Rebellion needs them back. That, yeah. was, that was one of the underlying themes of my original Longshot game, where they had this ship that all that is massive and an class Star Destroyer, but the only thing it had was the backup hyperdrive. That can be a huge uh, kind of break on the the power that, that this shit could bring to bear. Yeah, yeah, it could, it could make for it make for a lot of fun, and it causes them to get off the ship. They gotta go negotiate. They gotta really get it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, they they find some some outer rim barren, you know, primitive in the middle of nowhere. Not primitive, but like you know, completely out of the galactic spin. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, I've got the part you need, but here's what I want in exchange for it. And you've got a whole new mission ahead of you, you know, to, to, to do something for him to try and help, you know. And then all along the way, while you're trying to do all this, you come across, uh, you know, a group of civilians that are being terrorized completely by maybe, maybe an offshoot of the Imperials or whatever, and you defeat them, but their planet's in jeopardy or their environment has been destroyed and they can't stay there, they're going to they're die, and there's thousands of them. And so all of a sudden, your ship has become an arc, very Battlestar Galactic style, right? And now you've got these civilians on board, and you've got the ferry that's safety, and you can't take the ship into too big of a firefight right? because you're risking the lives of these civilians. Yeah, there's there's a lot you could do with this. So it's awesome. Hey, you're getting some really good play in the chat room there. Thanks, Echo Base. Yeah, Echo Base is hot, but they love it. I'm telling you, we're. I'm telling you, the. Uh, I just, just. I'm blown away by the. No number of people who watched our our Twitch streams since we started doing this. It's just amazing. Quite a lot. So yeah, good stuff. Well, thank you all for the questions. Uh, hardcore. Thank you, strong arm. Thank you, Zerts. Oh, thank you, Rannick. Um, uh, if you guys have any questions you'd like us to discuss on the show, of course, as we've said, head to the Order sixty six uh, uh, podcast board at dt20radio.com slash forum. Um, post them up. We want to hear them, and our excellent, excellent forum community will also be there to assist, probably with some immediate answers to queries you have, if you don't want to take it out for a couple of weeks until the next show drops. I think Severick is saying that he sent a question, and we never played it. Yeah, I thought we got some questions from Lance, but when he posted them up in Echo Base, I don't recall getting them, and I don't recall hearing them. He said he sent that out before uh, we did the Stay on Target episode. Stay on Target? Really? Yeah. We'll, we'll check what this is going on, Anthony. And, um, 
yes, yes welcome to the post show. show. So, for Valentine's <sighs> Day, my wife and I actually got each other something for Valentine's Day. We never do this, but we both did, which is funny. Okay. She got me a t-shirt that I will definitely wear at Gaming Nation Con that says, Leprechaun, I am not. And it's a big picture of a Yoda. <laughs> nice. And this is, I have never in my life, you guys are always wearing your Millennium Falcon t-shirts, I've never owned a Star Wars, straight Star Wars t-shirt. And so she bought me two for Valentine's Day. Wow, okay. Yeah, so it's, uh, it was pretty cool that, uh, that she did that. The other one was, uh, the other one was basically just a big giant thing of R2-D2, <laughs> which is awesome. Nice. Which is a cool character. It's my other, you know, if I had two favorite characters, it would be Yoda and R2-D2, so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't love R2-D2? Communists. I know, man. Dude, we are almost at 10% on quintessential, and we haven't said an official word about it. Well, there's this live show. This live show. Well, there. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, um, uh, uh, Brad and V, yes, got the email over Hockey Dory, man. Thank you. Um, asking in chat. I am so excited about Quint and Gamer Nation Con both, and I, 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 I oh, oh. the, 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 you guys the Kickstarter will still be running here in the con. Yeah, I know, it's really awesome. I, you know what I'm really, I, I started putting boxes out in the garage so that I could just throw them back in the truck the day, the day of the con, but, I mean, for those of you that don't know, Tasty Mental Games sent us 200 copies of one of their games to give away in his swag bag. That's why their that's why their logo logo is so huge on our website. I think wow. it's freaking awesome. And this game, uh, TG is actually going to be running a tournament for it at the time. Um, it is a ten minute playtime two player strategy game um, yeah. called Coin Age, and it's like it's like Risk Light played with pocket change on a card. <laughs> It, 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 you know, it's, it's, you know, Michael Minnis, he, he like had a whole bunch of, of micro games that he went through on Kickstarter, just bam, 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 right? This was one of those. And I just, I find it extremely deep for one the time and two the component. I was shocked. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is cute. And we played it. I'm like, whoa, we did it. There's some very subtle strategy here. We need to yeah. go back and play this again. And 30 minutes went by, and we threw down like four games of it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I can just imagine what rules TG is going to come up with. But, you know, I would guarantee you're playing at least the best two out of three as a, as a thing. But, you know, it's uh, they go so fast. And you make one mistake, and you're not dead. No. You know, but it's, it's tough to recover in such a short period of time. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just fabulous. So thank you to these Minstrel Games. I'm so excited for Quintessential again, guys. Get to the Kickstarter, do a search for Quintessential or Fifth Element, um, and you can find it and pledge. Um, I'm also excited because we had so we had some. Uh, there were a handful of, of backers that had some issues with fulfillment on the Neon expansion. Um, we had some errors in the fulfillment database, and and just a bunch of other crap came up. Um, and so some, uh, there were, there were a handful of backers for the Eons expansion that didn't get it, um, until, uh, a, a couple months after they, you know, some of the other backers did. Dude, we've, we've got a few that I am still, I'm still ferreting out one or two, maybe a week and, uh, but we're just about done. But 
I mean, there's like, I got an email today from a gal in New Zealand that just got hers and was going to crack it open tonight or Sunday night, New Zealand time. Right. So I guess I got it yesterday, but, so, uh, yeah. Well, experiencing that headache. Okay. And, and, you know, uh, quintessentials, I guess the fourth, the fourth title from GNS from camera nation studios. Um, we didn't want to experience that headache again. And, and also definitely not for our backers. So, We've changed things up a bit this time around, and we are using a uh, a new pledge, a backer pledge manager, yes. um, called Crowd Control. I think, Dave. Yes. If you guys know, if you're especially in the Nerd Night group, right for DFW, um, there is, and if you're, and if you've kept up with the D20 Radio Network at all for you know since we started back in 2008, you'll recall that the first two shows on the D20 Radio Network were, of course, the Order 66 podcast. And Radio Free Hamlet, which was the D and D at that point, D and D three five. No, it was, they, was they, it were, they were fourth edition. They were four. Oh, that's right. It was fourth ed, and then they just kind of petered out on fourth ed. No, they, they didn't peter. Well, they, yeah, they petered out on fourth edition, not on right. the show. That was, not on the that show. Was one, that was one of those. That was when I knew fourth edition was dead. Was because Radio Free Hamlet that was so devoted to it. They after podcasting for a couple of years, they were like, okay, we're done with this system. Yeah. And we're going to produce our final episode on it. It was like, whoa. Yes, hey. yes. Hello, Pathfinder. Here's a giant open door for you. Yeah, anyway, one of the principles, or I would say the principal architect of that show is uh, Tim Rayburn. And uh, Tim and I know each other pretty well. We have some some common friends in the technology business. And um, and as coincidentally enough, my wife goes to uh, Scrum uh, Agile-type classes at his building, um, once a month or something like that, which is really kind of funny. Anyway, Tim and I got together and we created this crowd control thing. And it's basically, if you guys know about backer kit, it's, it's backer kit, but it meets backer kit meets salesforce.com on steroids. Yeah. So it, it gives the backers obviously the power to see what they're backing with whom and where, right. Based on their Kickstarter or Indiegogo or whatever, multiple platforms. But it gives the it gives us the project creators a very good and handy way to handle fulfillment. So if you want to export it, we're going to choose to export to Amazon.com. We've got the API. If you want, if you use Stamps.com, the API is there for that too, right? So you know it's going to start with limited functionality, but it's going to help us not have that happen again. Pretty much. I mean, it's Amazon, baby. I mean, there is no. I, at this point, I would say, is, is there is there anyone better at global logistics and fulfillment than Amazon? No, uh, no. I mean, so, I I am this close, and I can't put it up there yet. But you know, Chris, I haven't told you. I'm I'm, I'm working on the fulfillment for Amazon Europe, basically. So. Once I can get that secured, then base we can put that euro friendly, and we can we'll ship a whole pallet to Amazon in Germany and we'll ship a whole pallet to Amazon in Spain or what, you know, whatever, right? Because they EU is weird with their shipping, but, and basically everybody in, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Asia and Australia and New Zealand, you guys really don't have a real good platform for getting stuff there. So it's still going to cost a little bit more, but still Amazon's going to fulfill it. But, yeah. um, you know, it, it's going to be a lot easier. It's going to be a lot easier for us. It's going to take the headache away from us. I don't think we're going to be having uh, packing parties where we show pictures of uh, of, of <laughs> games stacked so high you can't see Krista standing behind them, you know, and um, and then basically me getting cramps uh, unloading the my the entire content of my truck into these massive 
vats at the uh, U.S. Post Office. But either yeah. way, it's going to be awesome, and I can't wait. It, it just, I, I just can't wait. Yeah, I mean, after this game's produced, the pallets will go directly to Amazon, and they will be handling all the fulfillment, and uh, we will be breathing giant sighs of relief. And ultimately, with their logistical networks and resources, um, you guys will be getting your games even faster. So yeah. I'm just, I'm absolutely thrilled. And not only that, Gamer Nation Studios becomes a vendor for Amazon Prime. Oh! Yeah, so if you're a Prime member... That's right, free two-day shipping. That's what that means, yeah. So yeah, so it's awesome. It's really, really cool. So, okay, question in chat, Ghost Shark 27 Are we going to go to Gen Con? I am a definite yes. I will be there for certain. We're not going to have a booth this year. But... um, I will be there, and I will be pretty much living in Hall D, running a whole ass ton of quintessential and other playtests. Other, other playtests. That's right. So, uh, yes, other playtests, which those of you who are coming to Gamer Nation Con will get a chance to play one of them with me presently. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, very, very excited about that, and uh, I will say it is a project with Jay Little, and I will leave it at that. Um, it's an RPG with Jay Little. It's an RPG with Jay Little. Um, <clears throat> so very, very excited about that, but, uh, yep. uh, I don't know if I'm going to be at Gen Con or not this year. The, um, the issue for me is at this point going to be vacation time and, and finances. My, uh, some of you know me, maybe know my, my mother-in-law, um, is going through uh, breast cancer right now and, um, uh, recently had some very difficult surgeries. Um, it's come through well, but she's actually having to start her chemo regimen, um, just next week. Um, and not only is living with us. It has been for some time. It will be for some time. Uh, but uh, both Chris and I are having to dig into our PTO quite a bit to get her to her chemo sessions or will be to get her to her chemo sessions and stuff. Um, but uh, a lot of our friends and family have stepped up as well uh, to assist. So it's awesome. But it's kind of up in the air for me at this point. Yeah, I think we're going to save you for BGGCon. Oh, I'm going to BGGCon. It's local. I ain't got that. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, Eon's Dice is still a thing. However, I can't say much about it because it's morphed into another thing. <laughs> it, it's 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 it kind was of one thing, and now it's become another thing. It's morphed into another thing, um, and I can tell you that if you cross your fingers and and pray to the gods that you pray to, it won't be published by Gamer Nation Studios, but it will be published by. <clears throat> Days of Wonder. Yep. Yeah. We shall we shall see. Oh, and Dugan SF uh, is in the chat asking, uh, do we need to sign up for games? Is that on the website? Yes, it is. Uh, GamerNationCon.com slash events. Um, and you can register for events. Look at Sporkly Johnny on the spot. Thanks, Sporkly. He's already got it in the chat. Look at that. That's awesome. Look. Um, Keep an eye out for various games out there. I actually posted my two the big leagues games and without even advertising they filled up in a weekend (laughs) they filled up so quick i i had poor people that i had to turn away because you know the system allows people to book and overbook up to a certain point yeah before it before it automatically denies them so then i had to go in and systematically deny but i was about four hours late and still had to turn away three people if I got the time, and I, I'll, I'll need to talk to you guys to find out what you need or expect from me to help out with the con. Um, if I've got the time Sunday before the auction, I might run a sign-up at the con, either another run of the big leagues, or 
I'm kind of inspired to possibly adapt the uh, the old Saga Edition Gen Con convention game, Betrayal of Darth Revan. Oh, I loved running that game. <laughs> That's a combat-heavy mod. It is, which is why I really need to take a look at it and see if it really can be done for for uh, for Edge. I've got an old, I've got an old Saga Edition mod that I really want to adapt to this system because I think it would work well. Yeah, that was um uh. Ghosts uh, of Memory, but it wasn't Betrayal of Darth Revan. It was um, something something in uh, Executive. Um, oh, Murder on the Executive. Murder, Murder on, on the Executive. It was it was the one where the the PCs were all like junior grade Imperial officers yep. that were investigating a murder on board the Executor. I never got to read that yeah. one. I never I, yeah. I, I never found it. Betrayal of Darth Revan. I found, but I couldn't find Murder on the Executor. Oh yeah. Oh, and Kevin, yes, there'll be plenty of uh, pickup games that. That's a given. Yeah, this is this is despite registered events. This is the most pickup pickup game friendly convention in the history of anything ever. Um, we actually so every every game that you play, every hour you play earns you ten XP. And for those who've gone to the convention before, we we we've 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 self acknowledgedly blatantly stolen this concept from ReaperCon with permission. <laughs> yeah. Um, but every hour of 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 games that you play or run, that's very important, will earn you ten XP. Um, that XP is your currency and the only currency that can be used to bid in the auction on Sunday for all the cool swag and other stuff that we will be uh, doling out. Um, so we have sign-up sheets on hand that will allow anyone who is organizing a board game or an RPG event to instantly register it, um, pick up or no. Um, and, you know, write the names of the players down, doing all that jazz, and then, boom, when the game's over, you take it to a marshal, you get your XP, you give it to all the players, and everybody's happy, and it's all good. Right. So, I mean, yeah, Phil, you, I mean, you should be able to, if you want to on Sunday morning, and you got the people to do it, you should be able to throw something down in a heartbeat, just say, cool. I mean, we have, we have tent cards for tables, all you gotta do is stand at a table, put your tent card up there, it says RPG event, players want it, and people people will come. People will come. If you this is a this is a very small venue. It only holds 150 people, and uh, um, you know it's uh, yeah. People, you if you if you build it, they will come. <laughs> Which means I've got three weeks and two sessions of another long shot in between now and then. Oh, but at Kevin. least they're written. Kevin has. Written, roll. I just want to tell you, Kevin has put himself in the game. Quintessential. Uh-oh. Oh, oh, he, oh, he has. Yes, there's four. You know, there's four. Make yourself one of the alchemists. And now there's three. And now Kevin. there's three. Oh, Kevin. <laughs> oh my. That's right. Look at you. Look at you. Oh my. There's only three of them left. Yeah, and we're rapidly running out of. Uh, we're. Um, I'm. We're, I. I. You know what? Tomorrow we're going to be out of the big pledge numbers. I guarantee we are. Probably. Because the uh, Witzel just took one. So um yeah, good night, dude. We're cool. over. We're over ten. We're eleven percent now in climbing, and we hadn't said an official word. It's just amazing. I love it. I'll just be happy to get the game because I find that I I I got to play the game out of Gen Con and it was a blast. But I never got to play it through to the end. No one ever stuck around long enough for me in a game that I was playing. Uh, That's amazing because that the game only takes forty. I think the longest game I've played with distractions was like fifty minutes. Yeah. yeah. 
I well, the thing is, I came around and you were you know, the game was being shown to folks who are walking by, and they'd go through like two rounds tops, and then like, okay, this is cool. I do have to get you know and they 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 do the faux. Oh, I've got something that I need to be at in a few minutes, and then they'd get up and move on. So it just happened to be that that was the that was what was going on while I was there. And when you had it up at uh, any of the other places, like the, just the game night elsewhere, um, you know there was just something else going on that I wasn't able to get in on. So I'm looking forward to yep. getting some, getting a full game of this in at yep. uh, at Gamer Nation Con. Oh yeah. And uh, there's a yeah a lot of beta games at Gamer Nation Con on on uh, Sunday morning, and this is going to be early Sunday morning. I've got guys lined up to show up starting like eight or nine o'clock in the morning to bring their prototypes. Kids. If you have kids and you want to bring them to the convention, Sunday morning is definitely the time to do that because we have two children's games. And I'm talking three, four, five-year-olds that can play these games that are prototypes. Um, one of them is uh, GM Hudson, uh, Chris Hudson, and he's going to bring it up. And then the other one is uh, is a it's 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 sort of a it's a weird little I don't want I don't want I don't want to say weird. It's kind of it's color matching and number matching um, that plays like Candyland, but it's called Counting Sheep, and it's for kids. Yep. But cool. there's a but there's a uh, there's a cutthroat edition of uh, of Counting Sheep that makes it more adultified. <laughs> it involves a pair of clippers. <laughs> Share the sheep. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's gonna be I great, lose. man. It's gonna be great, and we won't. We'll. Are we gonna do? We're gonna do another show in two weeks, right? So That's that'll the be that'll be the week before the convention. Um, will. Yeah. Are we doing anything at the con? Uh, yeah. I mean, we're gonna broadcast some of the sessions that we're doing. But we're not doing a live show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We yeah. we learned last year we just don't have the the time because we're kind of running the con. Yeah, uh, we really don't. Makes sense. I'm really I'm don't. I'm going to tell you guys I'm going to be out next show because I'm going to be Taylor's soccer season starts and we're going to be out the weekend before the con and the weekend after the con. Okay. In Alabama. In Alabama. Yeah. Well, Phil, Philbert and I will carry on the torch like we do. Like you do. Like like you do. Um. So yeah, yeah, we will have a show again, guys, in two weeks' time. Um, so, yeah. That's what I'm talking about right there. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I reckon. And hopefully all this record snowfall will have petered out by then so that uh, me and my contingent can get down to you guys on Thursday. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. That'd be swell. It would be swell. <laughs> <laughs> We've got two weeks and uh, six, five days, Mother Nature. So stop it. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> you can go for another two weeks and then just back the F off. <laughs> <laughs> just back the F off. Please, and thank you. <laughs> and thank you. That's right. No, it'll be fun. I'm looking really looking forward to this because this is, you know, I went to Gen Con last year. Gen Con. Gen Con. Gen Tens of Con. thousands of people. And I, I kind of am digging the appeal of how Gamer Nation Con sounds like. It honestly just sounds like 150 people hang out in someone's really large gaming basement. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's <laughs> kind of what this is. And then and then the the cool thing is is back at the hotel if the, if it holds to form this year is that there was a bunch of minis gamers that took over the convention room in the hotel that's that's earmarked for us. 
Oh, neat. And so you had minis going until, I, I, I think I got to the hotel at 3 in the morning on Saturday night, and they were still in there going strong. Nice. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it was War Machine or what they were doing, but they had the, you know, they had their, they had their, uh, what do you call them, tape measures and all that out. <laughs> their tape measures. Yeah. So I, I don't tape know. measures and firing arcs and blast radii, and they were all going fine. Yeah. Cardboard templates. Cardboard. Yep. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's what I'm there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. Here's I've got to go. Else. I've got an early morning ahead of me. Okay. Sounds good, Chief. Gamer Nation, get to Kickstarter. Check out Quintessential, the fifth element. Head to GamerNationCon.com. There are actually a few tickets available. So if any of our talk has uh, just a few, and That's if any right. of our talk has inspired you and you say to yourself, you know what, I want to take a road trip in the next couple of weeks and come down and see all of us, we'd love to have you. So head to GamerNationCon.com to check out tickets and events and see if it's something you would be interested in doing because we'll yep. treat you good. Uh, and since we have one of the representatives at least from the uh, the the uh, and I'm. Is it Witzel? I'm I'm, I'm yep. gonna get the the, the last tis, name wrong. It's the Witzels. Yes. Okay, yeah. So if you guys are there, um, I put up the first of the MVG sessions, which is the board game with me, um, and it's kind of a choice. So you guys check it out. You don't have to register for it. You're already registered for it. Um, all five of you, well, four of the Witzels plus whoever the other person was, and um, so we're gonna play like uh, something on the list there. But uh, it's Friday night from like 10 until midnight or something. So it kind of, I tried yes. to put it at a time where it wasn't going to get in the way of a lot of other stuff that was going on. Yes, yes. And Chris is going to put up the the other, the special yeah. ones. Already sent, I've already, they've got, they've got two other RPG sessions that come in their way. One with the Sams and uh, another with me. And uh, I've already got the email chain started on that. So it's good. Cool. All right, Gamer Nation. Good night. And good luck. Peace.